Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Long View is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Go and check out Dicetower.com for all the great news and reviews from Eric and Tom and the rest of the gang, as well as all of the wonderful podcasts in the Dice Tower Network. Uh, the Long View is generously sponsored by Gamesurplus.com. Uh, Gamesurplus.com has a wonderful selection, unbeatable customer service, and an attention to detail that is just amazing. Uh, they're super fast with their shipping. Their packaging is always fantastic. Their prices can't be beat. And if you're looking for any kind of game, just drop Velma a line over at games at gamesurplus.com, and she'll be sure to track it down for you. So that's Game Surplus. And if you decide to order from them, please be sure to tell them the long view sent you. My name is Jeff Gamble. I'm the host of The Long View. And today I am very pleased to be joined once again by Jim Shaw, Red V on Board Game Geek. And uh, this is a long-awaited, at least for some people I know, because they've posted questions saying, Hey, when are you going to finish that Dominion thing that you guys were doing? And I kept saying, yeah, 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 it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, now it's finally here. So Jim has uh, graciously agreed to uh, have me over so we could record. Uh, we're here in lovely, uh, what is it, Swoyersville? Uh, Swoyersville, Pennsylvania. That's a good one right there outside of Wilkesboro. And uh, having a great time here watching a little bit of the freak snowstorms that are coming around and uh, sitting and, and getting ready to talk about some deck building. So, Jim, thanks for the hospitality. Thanks for having me over. And uh, thanks for agreeing to be on the show. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you down. Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks. It still seems odd to me, like when you say "have you down." I still, I've lived in the Poconos now for like what fifteen, seventeen years, and I still, I, I still have a very tenuous grasp of the geography. <laughs> like I just assume I'm north of you, but some, I think I'm like I don't know, like west, and I don't, I don't know where I am. It's well, like, you I do think, live up on a mountain. I know, but I kind of thought like Wilkes-Barre Scranton was like up, like way above me, but it's not, I don't know. Anyway, well, wherever it is that I think I am, <laughs> we're going to be here tonight talking about Dominion. So, um, the last show that Jim and I did together, we spent a lot of time talking about Dominion, uh, the game. We talked about all the expansions. Jim kind of took us through all of that, uh, what he thought each of the expansions added. And we had kind of promised people that one of these days we would get together and we would do another show talking about sort of the reach of Dominion. Like what what effect has Dominion had on gaming since its, its release? So... Um, in talking about and, and trying to set things up, um, you know, Jim and I did some looking. Jim a little bit more than I did. Uh, he's he's much more studious than I, and uh, we started coming up with these huge lists of games that have come out that have really kind of taken Dominion, that sort of Dominion engine, and you know, it's just been put into so many other different designs. So we're going to attempt to kind of take a walk through some of those designs and really kind of trace the the effects of Dominion on board gaming as a whole. So uh, before we begin, Jim, I I just want to kind of get your thoughts, uh, because you are a huge fan, I know, of deck building. And I want to kind of get your thoughts on on just overall, before we start going through individual kind of specific games, what do you feel has been the effect of Dominion on board game design since it's, uh, you know, been released? Well... All right, so first there's the deck-building genre. Dominion created it, um, and so many games have just latched on to this idea of, you know, building a deck as you play and cycling through your cards or tokens or dice, whatever it is that you have for this uh, engine-building system that uh, Donald X. Vaccarino created. And 
But I think its reach actually can extend beyond just deck building. I mean, Dominion was the game that created, you know, we're going to sell a box of 500 cards, and they wanted to see if people would buy it for $35. And the answer was a resounding yes. And I think that's one of the reasons you see deck building taking off, is I think it's a very uh, marketable uh, idea. It's profitable, I guess it might be the better way. You can print those cards uh real easily and you know sell a full game in a box um and it's you know have cardboard or wooden uh, components most of the times and i think that you know helped extend its reach and made it grasp or um it's you it's extended out into so many other games games like the lcgs of the fantasy flight games you know those are card games in a box and you didn't see those before dominion came out the uh, Pathfinder Adventure card game uh, that came out. Same thing. Just a bunch of cards, big box, $60, but it's worth it because it's a good game. You know, even though it's just a bunch of cards. And I think it just changed the mindset of the consumer was, you know, you didn't need, you know, all these wooden components and you can just get a big card game, you know, and it could be worth it. Before that, all the card games were smaller. Race for the Galaxy would have been considered a big card game. And I think in its base game, it might have 150 cards or right, something right. like that. Um, and we're still seeing a bunch of different stuff today and as an engine, as a, a device that's deck building itself is being utilized in, you know, it's being utilized with dice, tokens, and all sorts of other ideas. And I don't think it's done yet. I think it's got a long way to go before it actually can uh, say that, you know, it is done. Well, I, I don't think there's any way to doubt the profitability of Dominion and uh, the, the games that are that are like it that have been released, um, you know, I kind of trace it back to Thunderstone being the first kind of major deck builder that I recall after Dominion. Like that, that was like the next thing that came out was Thunderstone, and coincidentally, that was the first episode we did of the show, and and that was you and I uh, talking about that game together, and so we kind of started this this trail with Thunderstone. And, uh, you know, to my mind, Jim, there's been sort of some some forks in the road. You know, the, all the roads are kind of going in the same direction, but there's been some kind of noticeable kind of forks. So y- you have sort of the superhighway kind of going down the middle, and that's all of the games that are just like Dominion. Now, people will, you know, sometimes unflatteringly call them Dominion clones. You know, these are games that basically are exactly the same thing. You know, you have cards. Uh, you're going to draw five cards at the start of your turn. You're going to buy cards from a display, and then you are going to, you know, put them in your discard pile. And you're going to continue and, with this pattern and reshuffle when you run out of your draw deck, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so there's been a lot of games that are just like that, um, that are, that are very much just following that basic kind of format that Dominion kind of set up, right? And, and but then there's been some other paths, some forks that have come up. And most notably, you know, you you have a a branch of deck building that has developed a a little bit more recently, but it has been around for a while, which is deck building with a board. Mm -hmm. So you you have this idea, okay? So deck building with a board is another one. And and I think the first really notable game that I can think of would be uh, A Few Acres of Snow, okay? This is where you're going to integrate a board with the deck builder. Um, that that idea was then carried on by games like Mage Knight and and uh, even to a lesser degree London, uh, although that's more of a tableau builder than a deck builder. Um, so that's like another path, okay. And then there was uh, yet another kind of fork in the road, another path, 
And that would be uh, the deck builders that have uh, come out where you have the sort of conveyor belt kind of. So instead of a static display of 10 cards or 8 cards or however many cards, you know, that, that, that type of game is asking you to set up where all the players are going to be considering, this is that sort of ascension spin on it, right? Now, this is, again, where your, your display is not static. It's going to change throughout the course of the game because you have this sort of conveyor belt of cards that as you acquire cards, you have a, a sort of a big pile, a central deck, that you're going to be flipping cards up and, and filling these kind of spaces as they occur. And so it's, it's still that same idea of a deck builder. I think Ascension is what, six cards, Jim? You draw um, six cards instead of five? Or no, is I believe still you're still drawing five Still cards. drawing five. Okay, I haven't played Ascension in a while. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, that that's like another fork. That's that kind of central flop. So you have that with Ascension. You have that with DC Deck Builder, um, you know, in games like that. So that's like a whole nother kind of path. And then there was, uh, there's was there been a few games that, that have a, a slightly different, intriguing kind of fork that I think is probably the least developed, Jim, at least in, in my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, that's the path where it's a deck builder, kind of just like Dominion, but there is a central kind of pool, a central sort of deck that is created. And the game that comes to mind for that, for me, is Arctic Scavengers, okay? This is where you're building your own deck, but you're also contributing cards to this kind of, you know, um, you're not necessarily contributing cards, but you're digging through a common kind of deck in the middle, which, if you've played Arctic Scavengers, is like, you know, the leftovers of what's been left behind, right? So there's like little tools, or might be some medicine. It's like going through and digging through a junkyard. And then there's also this notion of there is a central card that is going to be contested every round by all the players, and all of the players are going to be kind of, if you want to think of it, bidding for that central card. And they're going to, there's going to be some direct conflict. So that's like a whole that, that's like a slight tweak maybe it's not a whole nother branch of the road but it's there and, and there's been some games that have have started to utilize that a little bit more so um i agree with you uh, there's a long-winded way of saying i agree with you that you know dominion dominion's reach is not over um that engine uh started back uh w- you know with dominion and of course you know i don't want people out there to mistake jim or i we understand that magic the gathering was there before we understand the original Netrunner was there before. We understand that there were other kind of CCGs, but the notion of, you know, that, that I think that, that Donald X. Vaccarino had that was so interesting and so innovative was the idea that building the deck is the game. It's not something you do before the game. So that's kind of like the unique spin that Dominion had. And uh, you and I are both, you know, we, we started with Dominion, then we went to Thunderstone, we've played tons of these games, and most recently, we both are huge fans of a game called uh, Paperback by Tim Fowers, which I just reviewed in my last episode. Um, I don't know when that will sequentially be when this is released, but I just uh, reviewed that in January. Absolutely love that game, and, uh, you know, he actually, the designer himself, tips his hat to Donald Vaccarino, which I really liked. Uh, I mentioned that in my review. Uh, because basically we're talking about a Dominion game again. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a display of cards that everybody can buy. It's just that they're letters. Yep. And, you know, you are building your deck just the same as you you got victory point cards, just like you do in Dominion. You know, the twist for his is 
the victory point cards are useful to you during the game. They're not just dead. Well, it's a word game, and I yeah, mean, if you yeah. would have asked me, you know, hey, what the next deck builder could be, word game would have been <laughs> way down on the list of yes. things I would have even thought possible. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. and I, like I said, that's that's just talking more uh, the reach. You know, it's going everywhere. You know, and I think we're going to see it in video games, and you know, just that idea of recycling and. and Tuning your engine, um, but if you want to go back, let's let's talk some more about Thunderstone and what it actually brought to sure, the table. Sure, because I think it's it's not exactly a Dominion clone. They they added a lot of stuff. Yes, um, and after Dominion came out, it was mostly just a search for theme. You know, people wanted a different theme. They wanted to try. Okay, so that's my Euro castle building game. You know, in Dominion, but let's try the Dungeons and Dragons card game. Uh, theme. Right. And uh, Thunderstone does a pretty good job, um, but one of its major uh, changes was it added different currencies, for lack of a better term. It's got light that you have to deal with as almost like a currency. You're trying to get a light total with your gold total and your attack total. And you're trying to balance your deck with these three numbers, essentially, so that you can either use the attack total to go fight monsters and gain victory points, mm-hmm. and you'll need the light to give you bonuses or stop negatives to your attack, if I'm thinking, remembering correctly. Yes. Um, and But you'll still need money if you want to go to the town and buy new cards and get new cards in your deck. Um, and so that was an interesting take on it, and Thunderstone has some, some really nice artwork, The but I felt most of it is very Dominion-like. You know, you're setting mm-hmm. out your 12 cards in the beginning, your three victory point cards that you're going to go after, things like that. But after so that was an exploration of different types of currency uh then and also different locations jim you know oh, that, yes, that, had... like you know thunderstone had that very you know unique sort of okay you either go to the village or you go to the dungeon you know or you go to the wilderness and in, in the the more current uh thunderstone advanced kind of setup you know so it's that you have kind of two different areas that you're thinking about Whereas Dominion, it's really only one area, you know? That's true. Uh, Dominion did have some location stuff with, uh, uh, in Dominion Seaside, you had the island, um, I think that was called the island card, where you could actually kind of stash some cards mm-hmm. and you'd go back and pick them up later, um, you know, things like that. But for the most part, um, you know, Dominion really didn't mess with alternate kind of locations. You know, you, it was always that core of, I'm going to play cards so that I can buy a card. You know, whether it's a treasure card or a kingdom card is irrelevant. It, it's, I'm going to play cards to buy a card. Whereas in in Thunderstone, you had the, I'm going to play cards to either uh, buy a card or to fight a monster or I'm going to rest, which was another interesting thing I think that Thunderstone offered was that idea of you could you pass can, your turn, yeah, yeah, and then get rid of get cards, rid of a card. yeah, yeah. yeah, get rid of a card from your hand. Now in Thunderstone, uh, those were uh, disease cards and things like that, but it didn't have to be a, a disease card. You you could pass your turn, you get rid of a card, you get rid of a militia, you could get rid of a, a weak or underpowered card. And in Dominion, you really don't you don't really have that opportunity. You know, uh, you can you have that opportunity by playing cards on your turn. Um, and usually in like some sort of a chain, you know, you can get rid of some cards. Um, but that notion of, of just kind of passing your turn and getting rid of whatever cards you want, um, I don't think that's in Dominion, is it? Not at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. I you mean, have, have to have, have a card like a that's going to. Or, right. Yep. Yeah. Right. But 
in some ways, I think that maybe extends out Thunderstone as having that, you know, all right, I have to take a turn. Well, A, it's not a fun turn. No. You know, like, so I'm going to pass my turn. You know, it's like losing a turn in another game. You know, it's no fun. So that's a moment. So that's your turn is done, and all you did was get rid of a card. It may have been the right move, but it's not fun. Not very exciting. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's maybe a downside to it, but it was an interesting idea. You know, but and early on, after you know, when Thunderstone was coming out, it was just let's try a bunch of different ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I think, you know, it worked to a point. Um, then I think um, it wasn't too long after that that Ascension came out. Yes. You know, and like you said, Ascension created the conveyor belt of guy. Instead of having to lay out a certain set of cards or ten stacks or anything like that, it just shuffled all the cards together and flipped out the top six. And then that would be your market that you would buy from. It had a few certain cards here and there that you uh, could always buy. And again, it had two currencies. It had an attack value and a uh, you what know money by... I don't remember what the... Uh, ruins, ruins. Oh, ruins, So you yeah. have ruins and you have attack, right? Ruins is kind of like money, yeah, like a mystical energy or power or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, the when you got your victory cards from defeating monsters or whatever it was, you didn't put those in your deck, and that was another interesting idea. They went outside into your victory point pile, and then they just added to your points at the end of the game. And you could also score... I've never played the physical copy of this game. I've only played on the iOS, and it's a fantastic iOS game. But... Um, the victory points isn't there like tokens that you can use to to gain points at certain times? Um, not that I can recall. I'm trying to think of what's your, you get what's stars your or something. Um, yeah, you you definitely you get crystals. You know, they crystals, have crystals, so you have little acrylic white and red crystals, right? And so when you defeat a monster, you just take the victory point value of that monster and crystals, and the monster is actually discarded. And it wasn't until later that Ascension introduced things like trophy cards, where you would actually keep the card in your deck, um, or um, some of them would stay in in your display in front of you, and you could kind of cash them in later for some kind of benefit or effect. But in, in the base game of Ascension, as far as I recall, you just have the conveyor belt, and when you defeat a monster, you discard it. It goes, I guess, into the void or whatever they call it, right? And you take your victory points for it in the form of those, uh, you know, lovely acrylic crystals, right? Um, now, you know, when I think about Ascension, uh, I, I think about a couple of things. Number one, Ascension was was a lot of fun to play because it was so easy to set up. Mm. You know, you, you did have that one fat stack of cards and you had your starting hands... You put out the common cards, your militia, your mystics, uh, the the uh, the not the fanatic, uh, the the cultist. Yes. You know, you know, smack the cultist around, and you're ready to go. You know, you flip up the top six cards and 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 you play. Um, it had some of its own issues, though. You know, um, sometimes you would you would have a center display that was full of monsters. And there are some cards that will allow you to banish cards or get rid of cards in that center row, and then they'll refresh, uh, possibly with something different. Um, but you know, because you have this large stack of cards, there's a lot of randomness. There's a lot of um, a, a little bit of luck of the flip or luck of the draw, uh, especially as you start adding in kind of expansion ideas. But you know, my only problem with Ascension was there were times when I would sort of build my deck and tune my engine towards combat. 
You know, I, I would get a lot of heavy infantry cards, and I'd, I'd be buying a lot of cards that would, um, you know, allow me to have a, a, a really boosted combat ability. And never, you know, I got the grand design coming up in the center row, and I got all these cards, you know, that want ruins, and there's like nary a monster for like turn after turn after turn. And I'm like, dang, man, my whole deck is built for this, and yet. You know, uh, on another day, there'd be monster after monster coming up, and I would be smoking this game. I'd be uh, just just doing phenomenally, but today, no such luck, right? So that was always kind of a little bit of my problem. You know, and I understand that if you balance your deck, you know, people will tell me that that's the way to go, and I understand that. But one of the things about Ascension that I feel is, is a little bit of a weakness when compared to Dominion, Jim, is that... You know, in Dominion, you have that moment when you look at those ten cards, when they're revealed, you know, those kingdom cards. Um, uh, is it eight or is it ten? Is it eight? In Dominion. Dominion. Ten. Ten, thank you. There's just so, there have been so many of them. When you look at those cards, you're going to take a look and you're going to be, I'm going to use that card, and I'm going to use that card, and I'm going to use this one. And that's going to be my primary engine. That's what I think is going to win me the game. And I'll sprinkle in a few others depending on what my opponent does. You know, I'm not going to buy chapels unless I'm getting attacked. I'm, you know, And so you kind of like look at it and you're like, this is going to be my strategy. Well, with Ascension, yeah, you know, you can't always do that. You know, because the, the display is changing all the time. And that's one of the things that keeps it fresh. But at the same time, to me, it's a game that, that, that felt very largely tactical. I'm not going to say it was completely tactical, but much more tactical than Dominion was, at least to my mind. What, what are your thoughts about that whole thing? Did you find any weaknesses with Ascension or no? Um, yeah, I, I agree with you a lot on the... Um, with with any of these conveyor belt style um, deck builders, that's going to be the thing. You cannot sit down and go, all right, I'm going to build a green, powerful deck, especially in such an... I think that's the life deck or something. Right, that's like that. the life deck. Yeah, life bound. You know, because... A, there may not be any lifebound guys out there, or you may start building a lifebound deck and then you don't see a lifebound <laughs> character for four or five turns, or the ones you do see are not any good. They're hiding in the forest, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> that they are. Where'd they go? Oh, no. Um, but it, it's it, I guess it's a weight. Um, you know, you got to weigh those scales. Do you want the quick setup or do you want the, um, you know, moments of strategy? Because you know, I think even in Dominion. What you were describing there, like I'm going to look at the cards in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think early on, people don't even take that turn, and it's something you really got to learn to do. Is all right, I have to take a few minutes here and look at these cards and figure out what I'm going to do, come up with my strategy. But that's something you're not going to do in Ascension. So again, you're starting off earlier. So it's a bit snappier, right? You right. know, um, going back to theme. I really don't know what the theme of Ascension is. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I can tell you the theme of Dominion is you know building your little. Kingdom, but essentially it's a pretty abstract game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ascension's pretty abstract, and I don't know what's going on there, you know, other than. It's uh, a, there's, there's some gods, and they're being slain. They, they I don't know. They need to be slain. They need <laughs> yes. to be slain, and there's people like the faceless and the nameless and the lidless eye. That's my favorite, the lidless eye. Um, and that um, brings up the artwork, too. Um, yeah. It's, it's grown on me a little bit through time, but when it first came out, I think the artwork actually shied me away yeah, um, from yeah. actually buying the game early on. Uh, but, you know, it sets itself apart now. From other oh, it's games, a style. Like it's definitely it's a, style. a style. It's style. Now, you know, I didn't really have a problem with the artwork. I, I, you know, it's whatever, you know. But I'm also the kind of guy I didn't have a problem with the artwork in Glory to Rome. 
you know, a lot of people hated that, wouldn't even play the game because of it, which is a whole other rant that I could go on that I won't. So <laughs> I'll spare people that. But yeah, the artwork, you know, it definitely has its own distinct look, which is kind of cool. Um, but I really just have no idea what the whole kind of universe world. I, I know that you know Gary Games and and now I don't know what they're called now, but they they you know do have like a backstory that you know you you can read and that'll kind of give you a little bit of a uh, an insight. Uh, but it's abs- it's pretty abstract to me. Like I, I don't really. That's probably true of most of the deck builders. I don't think any of them really come through as a thematic experience. Well, you know. there's a couple that I could think of that I could argue with that about. But for, well, for the most part, them, you can when we get up. to them, I will bring them up. But for the most part, I would agree with you. So I don't know that it necessarily falls apart for me with the theme. Uh, my my only issues with Ascension were just that, you know, what I said, that, that notion of sometimes the conveyor belt is very unkind. Um, and so I still have the game because my son likes it. I'll still play it if somebody suggests it. I don't have a problem with the game. But it's not one that I think... I think I'd rather play Dominion at the end of the day, right? So mm-hmm. the original for me there is still the preferred, all right? So what's next on your list for us to talk about, Jim? Uh, have you ever played the Resident Evil deck building game? No. it's from the same company that does the Star Trek deck building game. Yes, Bandai or something? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, that would be the closest to a Dominion clone. Like, I don't think there's very many differences at all. It's a based on the video game... Uh, there's not much worth talking about. I played it for a little bit. Um, card quality's not that great. That's kind of harsh. I like yes, that. All right. You know. Now I like all these deck builders, like because uh-huh. it's you know just a mechanic that I enjoy. Like some people might like worker placement, you know. But this wasn't really bringing anything new to the table. Oh, it did bring individual player powers. Okay. But it didn't get them right because it had imbalanced player powers. Oh, okay. So, right. you know, you might have extra attack value on your turn, but, you know, according to whatever the display is that's out there, that may be important and it may not. You right, know, so, right. But just wanted to bring that up for a second. Well, that that's interesting. I never played that one. Now, the, the only one that I did play, this is the one I thought you were talking about, Jim, was uh, Nightfall. Oh. Now, Nightfall, I, you know, that was that was one of those weird ones. Like, I have discovered, it's probably because I'm old, that I really enjoy a lot of the iOS implementations of games after I've learned how to play them already. (laughs) Because I got Nightfall, I think it's called Nightfall, I got Nightfall on iOS, it was beautiful looking implementation, really slickly done, and I could not figure that game out to save my life. I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. I kept going through the tutorial. I kept reading everything, and it really made no sense to me. And and so I was hesitant to actually buy the real kind of version because I was like, well, if I can't figure this out on iOS, I, I'm worried I'm not going to be able to figure it out there either. And so I let it go. Did you ever play that Nightfall game? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about with that? Yes, I owned it for a little while. Um, physical or iOS? I, physical copy. And physical. I still right. have played the iOS Man, I still will play it a little bit here and there. Um, it brought some really interesting ideas to the genre. Um, first, it had the idea of there's color-coded moons on the top, and it's like if you play a red moon, the next card, there's two car- colors underneath the red symbol. They're all moons. Uh, the red moon, it would have a yellow moon and a blue moon, so the next card you could play on your turn could be yellow or blue, and then that would chain to a different one. It had this big chaining mechanic, and it was really a good idea but it really added a layer of complexity and 
I think if you had a dedicated group that wanted to really dig in, there is a lot of a lot to be found in Nightfall. You know, just it's uh, the complexity, but it is a mean game. Like you are out, you know, destroying each other's characters. You're putting. Right. Um, let me think about the theme. It's, it's vampires, like werewolves, werewolves yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. You know, all these monsters attacking each other, zombies. They don't sparkle though, do they? No sparkling. No That's, sparkling. You know, okay. You could yeah. throw glitter in there if you want, but. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, that's just a hate crime. <laughs> Sparkling anyway. vampires. That's not. That's not a movie. That's a hate crime. It's just. It's just, it's just wrong. Anyway, all right. Go ahead. Uh, Sorry, I digress. But anyway, but that extra layer of complexity. It also added. You're mostly if you were to take the curses from Dominion, right, and make that the whole game where I'm trying to sabotage your deck by putting um, different damage cards in there. Like uh, they were burns, bites, and wow. bleeds, or something like that. I forget what they were, but. Essentially, they were all curses and useless cards that I was going to fill your deck with. I would attack you and then fill your deck with these cards. Right. And then when the um, attack cards ran out, these wound cards, they were called, when the wound cards ran out, the game would end, and whoever had the most wounds was the loser, you know, or least wounds would be the winner. Interesting. Okay. You know, but it really made for a, like I said, a mean game. Right. But it gave you something where most of the thing, most of the game was trying to get your our characters in front of you, much like Magic the Gathering, and then they would sit there and take damage and block for you and attack for you to try and damage the other characters. Okay. And that so that was an interesting idea. And it also gave you private markets. There was like a central market that anybody could buy characters and cards from. But there was also everybody would have a private market of like two characters or two card piles that you and you alone would buy from. Oh, that's neat. Okay. You know, and that was an interesting idea. And this would be like themed like werewolf or vampire or whatever it was? Or yeah, you would have, like and that, you'd yeah. want to just make your colors match, and you'd, you'd it, it, mostly it was characters, werewolf character, vampire character, right. but there right. was some boost your attacks or something like that, you know, and other events that you could play off of too. And gotcha. Okay. Things. But a very interesting game requires probably more dedication than right. I was willing to do at the time. Or I shouldn't say even I, but my group right the people you play with you need you know three four people like any like even an lcg you really want to have a dedicated gaming partner or that wants to dig deep into that one particular game right if right. you can find that it's probably a pretty rewarding experience well you know I, i'm i'm glad that you have some actual experience with the game because it did look intriguing to me but i just could not figure it out for to save my life so um, okay, so what do we got next uh, that, that you're, you know, because you kind of tried to look at these somewhat chronologically, yeah? Yeah, I ran a list through on uh, Board Game Geek um, of all the deck builders, and there were over a thousand listings. Wow. <laughs> so, okay. But that's including expansions, promos, and all that stuff. But right, right, still, right. quite so a hard, bit. Hard to, yeah, hard to gauge. All right. Yeah, but uh, the next one I want to talk about is Puzzle Strike. Have you played no. this Puzzle Strike? No, no, but I, you know, and, and the only reason I stayed away from Puzzle Strike was I just heard there were so many issues. There were issues with the components, I think, and there was issues about uh, this edition is not going to be compatible with the earlier edition, and then you had to kind of rebuy in. It's kind of like how I'm feeling right now about Pandemic. Um, I have original Pandemic, the original uh, expansion for it, but now if I want to get the newest expansions, I'm going to have to reacquire more than likely. Uh, I think you can still order the cards maybe from Z-Man. 
as like a patch, but yeah, so I kind of, sh- I, I stayed away from Puzzle Strike, but I know you played it, so what can you tell us about it? Yeah, I ended up buying this, uh, picking this up at a con uh, the one year, and it's in a pretty pink box, and it's got little cartoony characters on it. I thought it'd be a fun game to play with my daughter. I was wrong. <laughs> This game is mean. <laughs> it is all about... Did it make the little girl cry? Yes, it did. There was there was tears. It was a sad day. You know. All right. But, so, But um, essentially what this... One of the main things was this, this is called a chip building game. And I actually saw where this, this idea of... Uh, was spawned in the early days of Dominion. Somebody decided that they didn't like shuffling cards and they made stickers and put them on poker chips right and made their own copy of dominion all 500 of chips and you know made a big poker chip set out of all these chips and put them in a bag so instead of shuffling you would throw all your chips that are used into a bag shake it up and then draw five chips out and play your hand that way right and puzzle strike uh did that um and it's all completely circular discs um and but the main idea of the thing was it's based off of a another video game idea, uh, Puzzle Fighter, I believe. It's a Street Fighter puzzle. It's kind of like playing Tetris against another person where you're sabotaging them. Um, and in this game, you have, you're trying to send gems to another person's pile, and if they get more than 10 gems in their pile, they're eliminated from the game. Who doesn't want gems? And this game, apparently, you don't. Why don't you want <laughs> they, gems? They're covered in poison. If you want, if you want to give me gems, I'll take gems. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> right. I don't know why getting gems would be bad, but okay. All right. So but, I didn't play the game though. So but I'm, yeah, I'm just so, talking trash. But as, um, it had ten little characters. It also introduced this idea of um, again player powers. I believe what you were talking about, like where they came out of second edition, some of the player powers weren't that good, so they've tinkered with them here and there. Right. I only played the first edition. Um, I thought it was fun for what it was, but I did see oftentimes you would lay out your, you know, display of chips to buy from. Like I think it was just like Dominion ten chips uh, or ten stacks to buy from. But you would almost always buy. It would be like almost always buying money in Dominion. Right. Right. You know, okay. some of the the stacks were not as useful. Or useful at all. They were just never bought. And so there was a lot of... Which I'm assuming that they tinkered with. And, you know, I don't know if they're up to third or fourth edition now. But for those that like it, more power to you. There you go. All right. So that that's kind of uh, an interesting sort of a um, side development, yeah. right? You know, this idea of using chips instead of cards. Yeah. Not I didn't exactly think it worked sure. that good. Yeah, I've, it was not easier to hold. It was, they, and again, I think in one of the expansions they came out with chip trays or a chip screen so you could lay <laughs> them out, you know, and things like that. And You know, it, I personally didn't nah, think that nah, it was nah. a good idea. That it did not like make it easier right. or more fun to play with the chips. Well, Although, uh, that was the other thing I bought it for my daughter because you wouldn't have to shuffle. You could just throw them in the bag. That's and, true. That's true. Yeah, my son, you know, my kids when they were younger, I always had to shuffle for them. So, mm-hmm. uh, or watch them just completely destroy and mangle my cards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I I know Joe. Well, it doesn't sound like I missed much with Puzzle Strike. So let's move on. Moving right along. Nothing to see here. Uh, Eminent Domain, a game you guys. Have Aha. Yes, Eminent Domain. Okay. So uh, Eminent Domain. Um, really, really interesting take on deck building. And the the thing that I think Eminent Domain really kind of latched onto and, and tinkered with 
in a really interesting way was this notion of the more you do something, the better you get at it. I mean, that's kind of the heart of eminent domain. You know, if, if I am constantly picking warfare as my role, um, if I am constantly doing that, I'm going to have a lot of warfare cards in my deck, which means I'm going to be much better at that than I am at research or I am at exploration. So there, there's an interesting kind of idea there. It's like a snowball effect. And I really like that. I found that to be really interesting with Eminent Domain. Um, I, I had some other issues with it, most of which were solved by the expansion, or at least addressed um, you know, to my liking in the expansion. Um, but I think the core sort of new thing that Eminent Domain offered was that notion of the more you do something, the better you get. And I like the inertia that that kind of created in your deck it kind of started to, to take on a little bit of a life of its own. And it, it is possible to switch gears, but not easy. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your deck is, you know, it's like, a, it's like an ocean liner. And, you know, if you try to turn it too fast, it's just creaking and groaning at you. It just does not want to do it. And meanwhile, you might be playing with some people who are happily just humming along with the deck that they built. Um, and, and, you know, colonizing left and right, left and right, left and right. And by the time you get your deck kind of tweaked or adjusted into a slightly different direction, quite likely you've, you might have lost the game. So I, I really kind of like that sort of long-term effect of the choices that you make. And so, I, you know, I really enjoyed that game quite a bit. And, and it's one that's still in my collection. Uh, it was almost out the door many, many times. But I kept holding on to it, waiting to see what the expansion was going to offer. And the expansion really freshened things up to me and, and offered a lot more um, op- opportunities and options and some different paths and, and ways to kind of win the game that I, that I kind of felt gave it fresh legs. So you talk about Dominion, and then you're kind of marrying it to that sort of glory to Rome. Yeah, that role uh, selection. Puerto Rico, yeah, that sort of role selection idea. But really, much more, I don't know, I, I kind of give it much more of a nod to Glory of the Rome. I mean, I, I know that um, Puerto Rico and other games have had role selection long before Glory to Rome, but that idea of, um, you know, someone picking a role and then you either follow or you basically are thinking, just like you do in Glory to Rome. And I, I like that engine being put into the eminent domain kind of car. And it, it really worked well for me. I, I think that's that's a that's a uh, one of the games where I'd say I like that equally to Dominion personally. I mean, I don't play it enough, but I, I play Dominion more. I think because it's easier to teach. It seems to get out more. But boy, I I really like that one about as much as Dominion. Now, have you played that? Do you have any experience with it? Oh yeah, I like that one uh, quite a bit. Um, like I said, I think it, that that idea of a uh, Role selection meets deck building, and it really did a good job um, of trying to conquer these planets uh, for victory points. And then there was the like that secondary market, right, where you could mm-hmm. buy technologies. Yep. And I thought that was a good idea. I don't didn't love the way it was implemented, where you could buy any card at any time. You know, or you, did you have to work through the decks? I can't remember exactly how it worked. Oh, uh, you had to have enough planets <clears throat> of mm-hmm. the correct type in order to gain a level of a technology card. But yeah, yeah. you know, you, you could just go in. Like, if you had one red planet, 
you could go through any of the first level red technologies and just just take it. You know that 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 could be something you could do. So I actually kind of like that, but you didn't like that. What, I, what, why I, did that rub you the wrong way? It just seemed like it was going to, or that it would push you towards the same ideas all the time. You know, I think there was some variety in what planets got laid out in the beginning. If I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly. But, you know, if there's two red planets, well, I know which two are my favorite red planet cards that I'm going to go for. Right. You know, whereas right. if there's a market or a conveyor belt, again, you know, something that's cycling through, I have to kind of react to that a little bit more. And I kind of like that a little bit better. You know, okay. now, whether or not that's changed with the expansion, I'm not, I'm not aware of. Well, you know, the expansion just added some, you know, different sort of things. So, for example... Uh, I don't remember the name of the card, but in the expansion now, if you dissent when warfare is led, you actually gain some victory points. Ah. So, you know, there, there's little tweaks, interesting things like that, you know, where it, it, you, there's other ways for you to score points other than the obvious ways that were there in the base game. Um, so I, I think that those new technologies really breathed a lot of fresh life into the game because there's nothing wrong with the engine. It was just, as you said, it, it kind of got a little samey. I think I would mm-hmm. agree with you. It kind of got a little samey, but the expansion really kind of opened that up. So okay. I, I would I would definitely say that that's, that's another one that took that idea and kind of tweaked it a little bit, um, mashed it up a little bit with that Glory to Rome feel, and, and you ended up with a really interesting game. Yeah, I think it's a really solid title. Um, let's see. Next on the list we have, and I think this is the first one that really branches out because it... Um, change things up by adding the board and it's Martin Wallace's A Few Acres of Snow. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm not gonna, I'm actually not gonna say a whole lot about this. I'd, I'd rather hear what you have to say in, in case you've had the chance to play. I think you've played it. You played I only it played it like once. Really? Once or yeah, twice. I might have to talk about it then. Um, well, why don't you tell me what your thoughts were about that when you first played that? Because, that was kind of a big deal. I mean, people made a big deal about this game that was finally going to marry deck building with a board. Like, that That was that was trumpeted, you know? Mm-hmm. So what, what were your kind of recollections uh, or experiences that, that you could talk about? Well, um, I remember, like, there was a big buzz when this came out, and this idea that, you know, it's, it's a war game, and the engine is that you're powering, or... Is the deck building engine is moving your armies around and you know over a map and this is the first uh, one of these deck building games that had a map that you're you know playing on mm-hmm. and you're man you've got coins and resources that you're managing as well. And there's a lot going on. Um, it really wasn't for me just because it's kind of looks like a classic war game you know or an older styled war game to me. You disappoint me, Shaw. Hey. <laughs> Not into it, but um, tip of the hat for the uh, for thinking out of the box. It's, it's it's there's a lot going on. It's quite interesting. Um, like I said, I just kind of bowed out. It just wasn't wasn't my thing. And then I know on your show you talked about it, and there were yeah. some issues with it. Now yep. I am somewhat interested. Isn't he working on a new version of it, or of a few acres of snow with? That's fantasy myth- mythotopia, yeah, okay. yeah, which is <laughs> a loose, a loose statement. Oh, okay. All right, so, um, all right. Well, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about this one because if anybody's really interested in, you know, hearing my thoughts and and 
uh, more importantly, other people's thoughts about A Few Acres of Snow, uh, you should go back in the archive and listen to that episode. Uh, that episode was with uh, Justin Nordstrom, who's been on the show quite a bit, um, and also with uh, uh, the, the late Tim Seitz, uh, who is the gentleman who discovered kind of the flaw with the game, uh, discovered the sort of unbeatable strategy known as the Halifax Hammer. All right, so um, here's what I ha- have to say about A Few Acres. I still have the game. I still love the game. I don't really care about the Halifax Hammer. Um, Tim kind of explained it, but I purposefully didn't really look into it. I don't really care to look into it. I don't want to know how to break the game because I think there's just so much there to offer. Uh, That game, to me, was the first time... Now, you, you said this before. That was the first time that I could say, Jim, that a game that was a deck builder thematically worked like it had a theme and the theme was not only the the cards and the types of cards and the types of resources that they represented but that that whole idea that martin wallace talked about of the deck building engine simulating the time that you had to wait between requesting resources requesting troops requesting whatever and then the amount of time that it took to either get it from overseas or to kind of logistically put it together yourself, you know, to gather all of the resources and the people and the settlers and um, the equipment and and everything that you needed to make these forays into the wilderness uh, to go out and and try to found a new settlement or, you know, expand your settlement into a city or, or whatever, right? So all of this coupled with the theme of the war, the conflict, and uh, the, the way the sides were beautifully asymmetrically kind of presented. French as mostly interested in you know fur trade and uh, you know their presence in what is modern day Canada. And then you know the British with the colonies and a mercantile kind of engine with lots of money and an ability to uh, sort of expand quickly in that way. And so all of these things thematically worked in a way that no other deck builder that I had ever played really accomplished and so to me a few acres of snow is not only an important game for what it attempted to do but it's an important game in what it succeeded in and i think that uh, you know there there's a lot of people that wrote a few acres off very angrily and that's their right i'm fine with that after the halifax hammer kind of issue was discovered but there's, I think, an equal number of people like myself who just kind of don't care too much about that and just still love the game. Uh, you know, if, if you don't get hung up on that, you can have an amazing experience playing this game over and over and over. Um, so to me, that, that's, that's just a, the next huge leap in deck building was taking a deck building kind of engine and marrying it to a larger game. So deck building is not the game it's now a part of the game and that that was the other kind of buzz phrase that was out there mm-hmm. and i think that that was a very well deserved kind of buzz phrase yeah because what you do on the board there was just as important as what you were putting in your deck oh it was all you that know? was important yeah I mean, um, you, you couldn't win the game just having a nice deck you yeah. had to have the board presence but i think like you said i think you're right i agree with you about the you know it implements a pretty strong theme but because of the theme balance issues had to be sacrificed that it didn't work as far as the deck building mechanic couldn't be perfectly balanced or at least right, right. not as it was presented and not as it was 
you know, uh, on the map that it was used on. Right, right. You know, now, but, you know, even though it's a brand new game, uh, just to kind of answer your question, Mythotopia takes that engine from A Few Acres of Snow and generifies it. I don't even know if that's a word. That is definitely not a <laughs> it word. It is not a word. Well, it should be a word. It generifies it. There we go. Um, I feel like I'm on the old comedy show in Living Color with that dude that always just made up words. Um, anyway, yeah, so is it set in a fantasy world? Yeah, kind of. Um, it's a it's a map of a world that doesn't exist. Um, there are cards that have a, a little bit of a fantasy feel to them, but basically what it is is it's a four player few acres of snow you know you can play with two three and four and it is a heavy confrontation game just like a few acres of snow is um there is a a much simpler combat system in mythotopia than a few acres um you still have that notion of you have to be winning the conflict at the start of your turn in order to claim victory right um but there, there's there's very few of those kind of cancel cards that you would get in a few acres of snow. It's like, you know, I'm going to raid you. Well, no, you're not. You know, here's my card that blocks raids. Well, I'm going to send natives after you. I have natives of my own, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you kind of go back and forth like that. Um, Mythotopia is a little cleaner. Um, but I think it, it also really, really, the reason I'm bringing it up, Jim, is because it really drove home to me. As much as I like Mythotopia, as, as much as I enjoy playing it, it just makes me want to play a few acres of snow. And and the reason is, is because while the engine is familiar and comfortable and there's some tweaks that Martin Wallace added in Mythotopia um, to the card display, for example, the cards that can be bought and all that fun stuff, um, that, that are definitely innovative and nice and, and, and I think they're good improvements. The theme is so strong, you know, in a few acres of snow. It's like, you know, the theme is strong in this one, you know. Mythotopia, not as much. So that lack of theme uh, is something that I kind of feel that I miss. And and so I end up kind of yearning to go back and play a few acres again um, rather than than, uh, Mythotopia. So I started playing Mythotopia a lot, Jim, with uh, my son. And he's gotten pretty good at it. He enjoys it. He understands the game. And we're doing pretty well playing it back and forth. And all that I can keep thinking to myself is, I wonder if he could play a few acres of snow. How I can I ruin I can, this experience? I wonder if I can teach him. No, come on. How can, maybe I can teach him a few acres of snow. I, I, be quiet. Everything you're saying about Mythotopia has me saying, wow, that sounds really good. Oh, <laughs> because, man. It generified you know, it. <laughs> I, I like the a little bit more abstract. Okay, you know, like, well, you know, then just... you would love Mythotopia. And I like Mythotopia, too. Don't get me wrong. But... It, it it there is no it is not a fantasy theme it is not a fantasy no. world you know you might fight dragons because there's a counter that says dragon and you put it somewhere and if you go there with an army and you stab it in the head you've slain a dragon you've slain a dragon but there's not really any drama there there's no like it doesn't go rampaging through the countryside and kill people if you don't go and get it this isn't smog we're talking about here (laughs) it just sits there and waits for you to come and kill it kind of like thunderstone which was ah, always yes. something That's that bothered true. me about Thunderstone too. It's Could like roll the dice hey, at the end there. And just right. kinda... We're just gonna sit here and wait for you to come kill us. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I'd, so yeah, I mean, Mythtopia is a lot of fun. It's a cool game. It, it adds some interesting elements, but don't get it because it's a fantasy theme. Because right. the theme is gonna let you down if that's what you're looking for. Okay. 
Moonrise Law. All right. Uh, next up, I have Quarriers came out. No, we've talked a bit about Quarriers. <laughs> um, big innovation was the dice. We're going to use dice instead of cards. Ooh. Great idea. Not really. Poorly implemented. <laughs> <laughs> and we covered this one. I was on the show with you. Uh, yeah, we did a yeah, quick yeah. Uh, review of it, and we and didn't King like of it. Tokyo, yeah, and. We gave it a raspberry, I think. Um, I remember distinctly at the end saying that this game isn't done, and I think I was proven right. <laughs> you were proven right, because Marvel Dice Masters is Quarriers what Quarriers way better. should have been. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, Jim. It seems like so many games get released that are being beta tested on us. and I kind of feel like you know there are certain... Um, uh, game. I'm not, I'm not going to go so far as to impugn a whole company, but there are certain designs, and uh, not even. I, I, somebody just criticized me on one of my forums for saying I was too nice. So, fine, I won't be nice. You've They're, already been mean to Quarters. I've already been <laughs> mean to Quarters. But no, but but what I mean is, I kind of feel like Microsoft, right? Like Microsoft is is renowned for releasing a total junk operating system. Letting us figure out all the things that are wrong with it, much to our dismay, frustration, yelling, screaming, cursing at the computer screen for this piece of junk Windows ME. Anybody remember that piece of junk? Or Windows Vista. Okay, so ME comes out. They beta test, they beta test it on us, right? Mm-hmm. And then they come out with XP. Everyone's like, oh, XP is so wonderful. It's a, it's the standard. And yeah, because they let us figure out what was wrong with it as the consumer. And then they said, okay, we're going to fix it now. We're going to release something good. And then they did that with Vista, you know. And then they came out with Windows 7. And people were like, oh, thank God, you know, Vista is terrible. Windows 7, awesome. You Windows know? 8's not great. No, and now they're beta <laughs> testing Windows 8 on us, right? And I kind of feel that's what happened with Couriers. I mean, Couriers was just not I there's and, and again, if people want to listen to you and I bash Couriers, go back and listen to the Couriers versus King of Tokyo episode. But I, I just kind of feel like there was so many things in Couriers that made no sense to me. It made no sense to me thematically or mechanically. And now you got Marvel Dice Masters. And Marvel Dice Masters, while thematically it still bothers me that I have superheroes beating up on other superheroes, and I understand that in the Marvel Universe, you know, that sometimes they fought each other, whatever. I I wasn't a big comic book geek, so for me, thematically, that's a little bit of a problem, but I enjoy Marvel Dice Masters. I think it's a lot of fun. I think they have a, a good model. Um, I, I every time I go into my game store, Jim, I buy a couple of booster packs. You know, every time I go into the Gamer's Edge there in Stroudsburg, I go and I pick up a, a few booster packs. They're a buck a piece. How can you go wrong, right? It, it's got like a CCG that's kind of approachable, um, and yep. at the same time, they've tinkered with that combat system. Yes, they and have, and they've yeah. made something that works really well. They and, have, and 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 you and I were talking on the phone, Jim, and we said, wouldn't it be interesting if you tried to play Quarriers? with the same combat system that's used in Dice Masters, because that might actually make Warriors an interesting game. You know, yeah. and give it that fantasy theme that people like, even with the ridiculous Q stuff. Well, I mean, you might see more of that, I guess they're coming out with Dungeons & Dragons Dice Masters. I would predict that they're probably just going to import the same, sometimes the same dice even, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can make a yeah. wizard die, use that same cast, and then... Dragon, so you know, a quake dragon. Or, yep, right. swap out the artwork, and you've got Away a, you go. new, a new thing. You know, that that's that. I had not heard that, so that's news to me. And, and uh, yeah, I could totally see them using 
the Dice Master system. You know, the only thing that would be interesting is, you know, of course, Dice Masters is supposed to be played uh, head-to-head. Mm-hmm. And Couriers did offer multiplayer. You know, you yeah. had three, four players. So how you would adapt the Dice Master system for multiple players, that would be interesting. You know, that would be an interesting design thing. So, um, you know, nothing against, I think it was, was it Eric Lang who did Couriers? Um, uh, yeah, Eric Lang. Really nice guy. I, I Mike you know, Elliott and Eric Mike Lang. Elliott, yeah. Mike Elliott and Eric Lang, I think. Um, I just really do not enjoy Quarriers. And so, you know, in the context of a Dominion episode, you know, the idea of drawing dice from a bag, um, you know, buying dice instead of buying cards. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was definitely something a little bit different. But I don't know that necessarily a change in medium was really all that revolutionary. I think the only thing that Quarriers did that I would say was really fresh was the notion of the uncertainty of what you're going to roll. Mm-hmm. That would be like getting a Dominion card, um, you know, like Village, and you flip it in the air, and if it lands one way, you get cards. If it lands another way, you get actions. If it lands another way, you get a buck. And if it lands another way, you get nothing, yep. you know. So, you know, that, that, that is definitely different than Dominion. But I don't know that it's better. I think it, it added a yeah. lot of a random element that, that still annoys me even with Dice Masters. Is, you know, I finally get my Hulk die and I'm ready to tear it up. And I keep rolling numbers. I keep rolling energy instead of rolling the Hulk. And, and what fun is that? Yes, and I've heard that that's still a, a complaint a little bit with the... Um Dice Masters. I don't. I haven't played enough to, you know, for my own for my own opinion on it. But that some of the higher level characters, they're almost priced out of range. Uh, so that if you buy them, if they don't come up for what you want, you're not, you know, you've just wasted your money. You know, and it's yeah, hard. Yeah. You can't get them out. I should say, into the battle to make them worth the cost of buying them. Well, maybe. I don't know. I kind of think that a lot of Dice Masters has to do with those neutral cards. Those, those, uh, oh, the ones that are out of, in the yeah, middle. Yeah, the, the middle cards. Because those middle cards, even more to me than their ability, you know, the, the, the uh, power that they grant, it's the fact that they have the twos on them. You know, the, mm. the two energy. So if you get a few of those dice early in the game... And you start rolling those twos, you can quickly start getting, you know, your Hulks, your Magnetos, your Wolverines, your Captain America. You know, you can start getting those guys relatively quickly into your set. Yeah. Uh, I still don't know that they're going to beat Angel um, or my favorite, Kitty Pride. Because <laughs> 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 you got Kitty Pride can't be blocked by any pawns, and she'll just claw you up. The you get a cat. bunch of you get a bunch of Kitty Prides, and and you're you're well on your way to victory. But and anyway. Dice Masters let you have the reroll, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah so you've yeah, got does, some powers nice. that can let you, yes, you know, reroll yeah. your dice and stuff, which like is kind of cool. So, all right, so Couriers, we're going to kind of leave behind. We kind of strayed a little bit, but yeah, uh, I, I think we talked enough about Couriers. All right, what do we got next? Core Worlds. Ha ha. Bonacore, Don Bonacore, and uh, Andrew Parks. Yes. Uh, Core Worlds. Okay, so I played Core Worlds a lot. Uh, Core Worlds is another one of those games that I kind of felt I I hung on to it waiting to see what the expansion was going to do. And each expansion to Core Worlds has really improved the game, in my opinion. It's really fleshed it out. Um, On its own, I think what Core Worlds offered that was different was a few different things. So the first thing it offered was 
a mixture of Dominion and this sort of conveyor belt kind of mm-hmm. card thing again, right? So we have Dominion and we have um, Ascension kind of mashed together, which worked. But the other really interesting thing that Core Worlds offered was this sort of stage development. So, you know, you started in the outer rim of the galaxy with these cards. And as you move towards the galactic core, you're getting different cards, different planets. You know, things are ramping up, more powerful. And so there's this kind of programmed progression in Core Worlds that was totally different from Dominion. You know, in Dominion, it was all about trying to find those cards in that set that you were going to try to ride to victory. Mm -hmm. Come up with a strategy, you know, make some tactical decisions during the game, but then basically run your engine and see what happened, right? Whereas Core Worlds was more about this this sort of um, ramped up kind of progression uh, of cards um, in the same way that like Uwe Rosenberg did that with um, a game like Orin Labora, you know, where, okay, these buildings are going to come out at these times, right, at certain parts. Or you even look at, you know, what he did with Lahav. It's like you can see what's coming in the future, and it's going to take a while to get to them, but, you know, this is what you're, you're shooting for. This is your target, right? And I think that Core Worlds did that really well. Um, and so that was something that, that I enjoyed. The other big innovation, I think, of Core Worlds was... The fact that when you played a card, it could stay. Yeah, you're doing a lot of tableau building yeah, in that one. Yeah, you know, and I mean, the deck building in Core Worlds is not the main focus. No, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's still it's more of just a part, kind of like few few acres snow was. It's just a part of the game because you're managing your energy and yeah. intake for what you're going to purchase cards with. Right, um, and then you're using those cards to attack planets. Um, but like I said, you're also playing cards and keeping them out, and you're going to hide them underneath the other cards. I forget the uh, exact mechanic, um, but it was really neat um, with the way it went, and it did tell that story of you're this barbaric, you know, yes. warlike race on the edges of the empire, and you're going in and attacking, you know, similar I guess to the fall of the Roman Empire, you know, being attacked by barbarians. Uh, but uh, the like I said, you've got these other parts going on, and it did a great job of telling that story on and up to the end. For me, my only flaw with Core Worlds is that I think it's maybe two turns too long or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, uh, but you know, for those people that want to dig into a pretty heavy game and you know want to invest the time, I think it's a great one. You know, it's it's interesting because. I, I think I would agree. I would. I might even go so far as to say that Core Worlds is heavier than a few acres of snow. I think I agree with that. Lighter than Mage Knight, but it's a heavy, heavy game. It is not easy breezy to set up. Mm-hmm. It is not easy breezy to play. There's a lot of thought you have to put into it. You have to watch what other people are doing, what they're gearing up for what core worlds you think they're going to go for at the end of the game, um, and then either positioning yourself to grab it first or um, going for something different, you know, doing what, what others are not. Um, you know, my only issue with core worlds, honestly, is exactly what you just said. It is a long game. If you play that game with a full complement of players, you're going to be sitting there for two and a half hours um, no, no worries whatsoever. You're you're going to be there a while, and you know rounds can be long. 
There's lots of things to think about and consider. Um, so it, the game length can be a little bit daunting. But again, it gives it a little bit of that epic feel, which is kind of nice. Um, my chief complaint about Core Worlds is really just, again, my chief complaint about any of these kind of space theme games, which is I wish games set in space weren't always about blowing stuff up and taking stuff over. You know, I wish that there was a little bit more, you know, different ways to kind of win the game just through, you know, exploration or, uh, you know, going through, you know, the uh, found alien spaceship in the far rim of the galaxy and discovering some amazing technology or, or I don't know. It, like a lot of these games, it's all about military. It's all about beating up on, on uh, you know, others, in this case, worlds, you know, and taking them over. And then the, the mechanic you were talking about, which is garrisoning those worlds mm-hmm. by, you know, ditching a card that you want to thin your deck with by putting it under the planet and saying, okay, this is the garrison for the planet. So other than that, I mean, I, it's one of my favorite deck builders. It's one that's still in my collection. Now, Galactic Orders really changed it up, really added a ton of great things to it, and Revolution really uh, is another strong one. I also like the kind of individualized decks, Jim. I, I like the oh, it's yes. a little bit of a different got, feel to each of the decks. Yeah, you had yeah. a general or something like that that was yep. specific to yours, yep. and then you would have a certain amount of cards. That's true. And it gave you that different starting deck, which I think may have been, that might be the first one to have done that. Well, that's an interesting idea. Well, a few acres of snow had different starting oh, decks. Yes, the the yes. British and, and the French had a few. But, yeah, I mean, this this is definitely different. Um, you know, because Eminent Domain, your deck is the same, but you differentiate it very quickly through yeah. play. But this is one, yeah. I mean, you, know, you have your own leader, and uh, that that's going to suggest, you know, I, I think you those start. I think everything else is the same though, Jim. You start off with uh, the same number of snub fighters and and marines, ah. uh, galactic grunts, and and you know you have your leader, you have your basic tech cards that I think everybody uh, uses your blue cards. So I don't know that the decks are, but now as the game progresses um, in, in Revolution, you actually do have little sub decks now for. Uh, you know your kind of faction, which which really does kind of add that spice to it. All right, so Core Worlds is this nice, heavy implementation. Where, where did we go next? Um, I believe the Star Trek deck building game came mm. out, and I haven't played this one. I know you have. I have, yes. But um, let me hear the rundown and the sell me on this game. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, my buddy uh, Lloyd, who's been on the show before. Uh, uh, he got it for me for my birthday, which is really nice of him. And uh, I still mock him to this day because he he kept playing cards to me, uh, in front of him and saying, I'm going to play my Ensign card, my Ensign. <laughs> and it took me a couple of minutes. I'm like, what? Ensign? Shut up, Wesley. What are you talking about? What is an Ensign? I'm like, that's Ensign, you doofus. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I still get to rib him about that. You know, I... I Jim, I played it a few times with Lloyd, and it was um, it was pleasant, but it was very forgettable. I don't really remember enough to even talk about it. I still have it because it was given to me as a gift by a friend, and so I really appreciate it. Um, and, and I would bust it out again if somebody asked it, uh, asked for it. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I haven't really. I'm trying to remember. I think there was like missions or something. 
that you could go on and you kind of committed cards to it. That might have been kind of interesting. But if it was that interesting, I think I would have remembered. So I know the card quality was pretty terrible. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I don't remember much about it. I'm sorry to say. Okay. Epic fail. All right. Well, let's go to uh, a game called Friday. The Freedom and Freeze. Friday? Yes. You're going to jump to Friday? What about Mage Night? When are we going to talk about Mage Night? I want to give that one the next, after this. After this? After this. Right after this. But Mage Night was before Friday. Are you sure? I'm pretty darn positive. All right, then. Let's go with Mage Night. Yeah. I haven't played it, so (laughs) enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I did a whole Mage Night episode, so if you want to hear all about Mage Night, go and check out the episode. It's uh, It's a phenomenal game. It's a game that I still have in my collection. It is one of the most... It is the heaviest deck building integrated with a board game that I have ever played. And it is um, full of delicious rules exceptions. Um, And they're delicious because they're so thematic. They're so cool. Everything about the game is cool. The card quality, I hate. It's a WizKids, and I hate their weird vinyl-y kind of cards. Boo. But the game itself is, is unbelievably rich, deep, amazing experience incredibly daunting high learning curve once you get into it though it's very rewarding it's it's an absolutely uh fantastic game to play uh the deck building portion of the game you know again you're you're playing cards out of your hand to do things on a physical board to move to uh use spells to um, you know, uh, travel to different locations and explore to, you know, so many different things, so many different options. It's an absolutely uh, wonderful world kind of brought to life. I, I didn't really know anything about the Mage Knight world before I played this game. I still don't know a lot about the Mage Knight world outside of the board game. But what I can say is if you're looking for a deep, 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 as Eric Summer would do, deep. I can't go as deep as he can. If you're looking for a deep deck building uh, game, this is is the place to go. It, it's phenomenal. But the the one caveat, uh, well, fine, two, whatever, no, three, three, sir. No. Anyway, the, the the caveats are long, long, long. It's a long game, so be ready for a long, long game. Second caveat. Super high learning curve. Once you start playing it, try not to stop. I've made the mistake of playing the game a few times, loving it, thinking it's awesome, and then it kind of falls out of rotation. And then six months, eight months later, I go, you should play Mage Knight, man. We should play Mage Knight. And then it's like I have to relearn the whole thing all over again. It's got... So if you're going to play it, kind of commit to it for a while and really kind of explore it because... It's going to take you a while. The, the last piece, uh, the caveat about the game is this is a game that requires skill. It requires mental skill and agility. Uh, I played the game with Jesse Dean at Board Game Geek, uh, not Board Game Geek, at uh, WBC one year. Uh, we haven't seen Jesse around on Board Game Geek in a while, which is a shame because uh, he was a really interesting guy to uh, uh, chat back and forth with online and also to talk with in person. But it was amazing the way he could manipulate a hand of cards. I could look at them, he could look at them, and he would see completely different possibilities than I even saw or imagined in the very same hand of cards that I was looking at. And so that really kind of showed me that 
it is a game that requires practice. You get better at it as you play. You see more opportunities as you play. Um, so it's just, it's a wonderful game. So um, that that's what I would say about Mage Knight. It's just a beautiful marrying of a deck building engine into a fantasy board game. So if you're looking for a fantasy board game, Jim, don't do Mythotopia. Do Mage Knight by Vlada Shavadal. Okay? But I don't want my fantasy board game to last four hours. <laughs> <laughs> then then play Mythotopia and have a really active imagination. <laughs> Make a rich fantasy world of your own in your own mind as you build that gilded city. Say, woo, it's not just victory points. It's a beautiful city in the mountains of Nestor or whatever it is. Yes. And that's where my people live. And uh, yeah, I, get, I get the sense, like, if they'd have gotten Mage Knight down to, like, an hour to two-hour game, I think I'd be all over it. But at four hours, I don't see me getting it to the table. Nah, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Yep. Disappointed in your shawl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you got? All right, now let's talk about that little card game, Friday. Friday. Freeze. I want you to talk about Friday because I have played Friday, but I have talked a lot about all these games that you should have played that you didn't. So now I'm going to make you, you are going to take the lead. Go. All right, so Friday is just this tiny little card game uh, in a small box. I think it's $15 or something, maybe $20. Um, and, but it's a solitaire game. You know, and this is the it's a deck builder and it is a solitaire game. You are um Robinson Crusoe's uh, stranded on the island or maybe you're Friday helping keep Robin uh, that's right. You're Robinson Crusoe and he is stupid and you are trying to be Friday <laughs> keeping him alive. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and it's actually pretty simple. It just kind of plays itself. I don't recall a ton of the stuff going on as far as uh all I know is like you'll you'd see dangers and then they would go into the dangers deck and then when they came back around you'd better be ready for them. Right. You know. Um, and pretty com- or pretty difficult to win if I remember correctly, at least on some of the higher settings. Yes. Yeah. You know, but I thought it was a pretty good game for like I said how small it was and you know pretty approachable. I liked it quite a bit. That's all you got? As a solitaire game. I only played it a couple times. Oh, for God's sake. Are you serious? All right, fine. All right, so here's Friday. All right, now, everything you said about Friday is totally right. Okay, Jim? Um, I agree with you. It is a fun game. It is very challenging for a solitaire game. The thing about um, Friday that I found really, really fascinating is you have this sort of life token bank. And if you run out of that, you've lost the game, right? Um, but what I found fascinating about it is is the threats that you face, there are different levels of threat. There are, there are kind of easy threats and then medium and then hard, right? And the temptation is to always go at the easiest level of threat so that you can win, not lose a lot of your kind of health or life points, and get that card into your deck, okay? But the, the cost to that is you start to really experience deck bloat. If, if you go for those easy ones all the time, the uh, effect that you get when you deal with a threat, that, and they're really interesting because they're these kind of long cards, right? And so one side, one half of the long card is like a threat and, or, or a task that you have to complete. I have to swim out to the old wreck of the ship and, and grab some stuff to salvage, right? 
And so if you deal with things at, at the lowest level of threat, the opposite side of the card, the, the, the other half of the card, okay, is going to be a card that you're going to use to do everything else you have to do in the game, but it's going to be very weak. It's going to be a very weak card. It's not going to really do much for you. And so what I found interesting about Friday Jim was trying to balance that life and the, the wounds, if you want to think of them that way, that you take with the threats that you're going for. Because if you go for the heavier threats, if you go for things that are a little bit more dangerous, the reward is much higher. And then you end up with cards in your deck that are much more useful to you and that are going to allow you to uh, perhaps get more draws on your turn um, so that you can defeat a larger threat. Um, you know that perhaps you couldn't, and or or you know they're they're going to give you extra life. You know they're they're going to give you life points back. Okay, it's like food, and you're going to get healthier, right? And so you really have to balance that, and that is a very difficult thing to do in this game because even if you kind of survive, then you have to fight the pirates at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And and the pirates were again varying difficulties. And you still were dealing with this original notion of you draw a hand of cards, and that's what you have to work with. And if you can't beat that threat with the cards that you have, and you don't have any powers where you can do extra draws, or you can do something else, you know, you've just lost. So you spent 20 minutes getting ready, and then it just all falls apart at the end. So... Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I still have it in my collection, I think. I think I still have it, although I almost never play solo games anymore, unless it's like a war game. What What are your thoughts about like uh, game length in that one? I thought it was just fine. Um, what I really liked about it was for a solitaire game or for a, you know, uh, you didn't have to really manage the game at all. Like, it just kind of like was, okay, flip a card and, you know, deal with that uh, thing, and then it, that um, I forget what they call hazards or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. You deal with that, but you didn't have a lot of bookkeeping or keeping track of. Okay, I have to move this here, move that there, and then shuffle that card into there. You know, it just kind of it played itself. It played against you really simply and really quickly. Um, I think the games were under twenty minutes or something like that. Yeah, you yeah, know? they were very quick. You know, I'd love to see it implemented as like an iOS version. Like you wouldn't even have to make an AI for it. You just you know it could yeah. work really nicely on the AI. Yeah. But. Um, I said I liked it. I don't own it. I think I just borrowed your copy for a while. Right. And right. Uh, you still have it? No, you still you have it. I gave it back. Do I? Did yeah. you give it back? All I right. promise. All right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, Friday by Friedman Fries, and, and and I think that's a another really interesting entry in the deck building kind of family. Um, you know, this the idea of a solo deck builder. All right, mm-hmm. what's next? All right, next we can actually do a the the head to head matchup of. The DC deck builder versus Marvel Legendary. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I've I've kind of done uh, full episodes, I think, about this, so I'm going to let you go on this one. What What are your thoughts about these two? Because these are two very different. One is built on an Ascension style engine, mm-hmm. and the other is is different. So, what do you think? Yeah. All right. So, the DC deck builder is a much more approachable gateway style game. It might even be easier than Dominion is to to teach or along those lines if you have a <coughs> comic book uh, friend who wants to play a game this would be the one to go for if they're not into gaming mm-hmm. um, so there is a place for it there it's quick to set up it's kind of a clone of Ascension I can't really think of very many differences at all that it uh, brings to the table um, other than some nice comic book artwork um, Marvel Legendary is a big co-op game 
Yeah. You know, and again, you've done that episode about it. I like Legendary better, uh, just because I think I like Marvel Comics better. You know, um, I think the game is average, but the theme kind of cranks it up a little bit. So I've still kept held on to Legendary. Um, and they have, with the expansions, made some interesting challenges and stuff like that, and changed the game up quite a bit. Um, you've mentioned the theme. I've never really had a problem with the theme. Uh, mostly because I think your maybe each hand is the comic book. You know, that's one issue of the comic book. And in this mm-hmm. comic book, it's going to be Spider-Man America, and Captain right. America, and they're going to fight the Rhino, and that's how it is. And right, right. off, you know, at some part, a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent's going to go talk to Iron Man. You know, right. and that's what happened in this episode or this issue. You know, so in that way, it, it works thematically to a point, but you are still... You've got currencies, and you've got an attack currency, and you've got a star recruitment currency. Um, But the the masterminds added quite a bit. Um, And again, in this one, you're not keeping your victory points. The villains you've defeated, they go into uh, their own victory point pile. I never play, really, for the... To find out who was the supreme uh, winner, right, right. I just, you know, it's a co-op game. Let's just enjoy it as a co-op. We don't have to, which may be a negative. I know some of the powers of some of the characters are like, you know, choose a guy and he must discard a victory point card. You know, which, right. you know, isn't a detriment unless you're playing against one another. But um, I still enjoy the game. I think it's uh, pretty good for what it is. If you're Going to getting back to my previous statement. If you're going to, if you're a gamer and want to run a comic book based card game with other players, this would be the one to go with. If, you know, if you're going to look for a gateway player to play by himself or with, then DC Deck Builder would be the way to go. Right, right. Well, I I, I don't really know that I have a whole lot to add. I, I would agree with everything you said. Uh, I think that the strength of Legendary is the plots and the schemes mm-hmm. and the plot twist cards. Um, somebody also, a, a listener uh, to the show, pointed out to me that uh, when you look at the cards, they're not necessarily two Spider-Men in your hand. It's they represent different attacks or moves, as he put it, mm-hmm. of uh, you know Spider-Man. So yeah. you know he's got this uh, you know this kick and this punch or whatever you know, and 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 that's kind of you know it's still one Spider-Man, but he's doing multiple different styles of attacks. As represented by the cards in your hand, which I thought, you know, I found really interesting. I also like your kind of comic book analogy. I think that's kind of nifty. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice way to look at it. Uh, I agree that Legendary is heavier. It's probably a little more interesting. I like the way uh, that uses the uh, sort of the timer of the game. Um, you know, and you have uh, villains escaping, and when they escape, they do bad things. Mm-hmm. I think that's really neat. Uh, the notion, you know, that they kind of damage you, and that's also in DC deck builder. They have uh, DC has a appearance. When a new supervillain appears, they're going to smack you around a little bit in yeah. some way, shape, or form, uh, and then they'll sit there and wait for you to kill them. Uh, but you know, I, I I think definitely, you know, it's funny because my experience is exactly the opposite of yours, which is DC is still in my collection because the kids like it better. It's, it's something we can you know whip out and play on a school night. It's incredibly easy to set up and play, and boom, you're there. Yes, it's Whereas, much faster. Yeah, yeah, it's quicker it to set up. And that's the sacrifice you make. Legendary can give you, I think, a more thematic, deeper experience, but it's going to take you a half hour to set it up and a half hour to put it away. So w- when you look at, at those two games, though, like, all right, so the, the roots of Dominion 
are easy to see in DC Deck Builder, right? Because you still have that basic deck building kind of engine, but with the Ascension style conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. Describe the roots of Dominion as you see them in in Legendary. Well, Legendary is a bigger step because I think it's the first one of these that is a co-op game. You know, I think it might be the first co-op. Well, deck Mage builder. Knight, Mage Knight could be played in oh, co-op mode yep. as well. Yeah, so that that was a bit of a co-op too. Um, and but I think Legendary may go closer to Thunderstone because you still have like a row of villains, monsters. You know, and you have those two separate parts, markets of the board that you're going to buy from. Um, I think Legendary does it better. I think there's a little bit more variety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Legendary, like you said, those scheme cards, they can, they've done some really, imp- using that Legendary system, um, they do some interesting story work. You know? Yes, they do. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. All right, and this time, this space is important, and these bystander cards are important. And, you know... And because of the scheme, and you know, you have to try and balance all that. And now this card, as it's moving down the conveyor, is becoming more and more very powerful or more important, more dangerous. Or, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, so you're going to lose if this guy gets escapes from the city or falls off the conveyor belt. You know, or you're going to, or it's going to be detrimental, extremely detrimental right, because right. of this one particular one. So you're watching it, and you're like hoping to draw the cards that you need to defeat that character. You know, there the is definitely more of a narrative there, isn't there? Yeah, much more of a storytelling. Yeah, like if you look for it, you know, you can see the story. Even some of the characters, you know, there's I no think story in DC at all. No, no, no it's really just no a card story game. in DC. And that's what people, some people look for. Like I said, you're looking for that quick setup, play right. the game, and get it done. DC is the way to go. Well, you know, the reason I'm harping on this is because we've talked a lot about how most deck builders really have no theme. We kind of have have made light of Ascension's theme as being there, not there, whatever. Uh, we, we've talked about so many of these games, and yet the, the only ones that we've been able to identify so far that seem really thematic were A Few Acres of Snow. Mm-hmm. Mage Knight. Mage Knight. And... Possibly Legendary. Legendary. I mean, I think Legendary definitely has a, a story that it tells. Especially... And it really is all about those the, the villain. The, the, the villain. And the schemes. The scheme. It really does give a flavor um, mm-hmm. to that because those those cards that come up in the deck that advance the plot, they do something nasty that is thematically tied to the theme. Yeah, Thema- no, uh, thematically tied to the theme. <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense. Thematically tied to the scheme, you know, the plot. Oh yes, the scheme. That that that, that the uh, you know. So if this is something that's going to mess with time, it's going to mess with time in the game. Mm-hmm. If it's something that is going to, you know, uh, some characters uh, some attack characters, other right. characters, like this it's, Venom character yep. attacks Spider-Man more. Exactly hours. right. So to me, that that's a pretty strong thematic one too. I, I would argue, in some ways, Friday is pretty thematic as well. Oh yes, yes, that one does. I mean, come that, that that comes through. I mean, you know, because Robinson really is kind of an idiot, um, <laughs> and, and as Friday, you're really doing your best to try to save him, but he's a mess. Does he get smarter as as the uh, he goes can on get dumber? Remember. I know. <laughs> I know that he can definitely get think, more hungry, I think when I desperate, he got and poisoned. stupid. <laughs> yeah, he can, he can get more hungry, desperate, and stupid. I know. Um, I don't know that he can get a whole lot brighter, but uh, yeah. So I think those are kind of thematic, but so many of the rest of them, you know, just really 
they're basic, straightforward card games. Right, right. Oh, Eminent right. Domain, I think, tells a story, too. Or not Eminent Domain, uh, Score World. Score World does, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'd agree with that. Not Eminent Domain, though. Eminent Domain is, is a, straight a little more game. purely mechanical. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. A, a really nice Oh, and that's, that's again, mechanical, there's nothing but, wrong yeah, with yeah, that, you but, know. But, uh... Yeah, if we're, if we're trying to kind of trace, because, you know, one of the shortcomings of Dominion that people have thrown at it for years is that it doesn't have a theme. And so one of those points of divergence with deck building has been, I think, the quest for theme. Mm-hmm. You know, the quest for uh, a deck builder that actually tells a story or has a thematic kind of feel to it. Okay. Um, what do you got next? Uh, Trains, a big game from a year or two ago. Mm. Uh, this is another one that brings a board in where the deck building is not the whole game. There's yep. some board play. Um I played this one with you a couple times, and I thought it was really good. Um, some of it came off a little fiddly, just in like what was it, the the refuse or the waste? The, the, yeah, waste. the waste. It yeah. was like I was always building and drawing waste, and then discarding waste, and then drawing those same waste back, and you know. Right. But um, as far as the building your train network, I thought that was pretty neat. Um, a lot of your it's Dominion with a board, though. Like you're not. Real like it's ten stacks I think again and mm-hmm, there's some basic mm-hmm. stack, you know. Yeah, uh, the, the victory point cards. cards are exactly the same. Yeah, you know they're worth one point, they're worth three points, they're worth you know. So yeah, that they're 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 it is it's it's exactly the same. Yeah, but um, I, another one I I kind of wish that I was maybe delivering freight more so than just building a network. Yes, you yeah. know I thought that there could have been more theme or some missed opportunities that they could have done that's, a little bit that's more. That's really interesting that you say that uh, because. I, I've gotten rid of trains. Um, I like trains, and it was inexplicable to me, to uh, my buddy Zach, to Lloyd, you know, so many people. My wife, you know, we played trains, and we're like, yeah, this is cool, you know, this is all right. But it it, it never got to the table. Mm-hmm. It was never chosen. It was kind of, you know, the, the, the poor wallflower of all of my deck-building games... It was the one that was selected the least often, and so I ended up getting rid of it. Even before, you know, I was I was really debating: should I try Rising Sun with it first? Will a new map freshen it up? And I just kind of decided, no, it's not. It's, it's not, not the map that's the it's problem. It's not the map that's the problem. I I think what you said really is important. I think if there had been one more layer to it, one more, you know, if it had had that. That traditional train pick up and deliver. Trains are meant to move things, mm-hmm. and um, maybe that's what was missing from it for me. You know, is maybe the theme in, in that way hurt it. You know, I'm building this network, but why? Mm-hmm. To score victory points. I mean, very mechanical. Yeah, and uh, really nifty to kind of build your network and all that. But uh, there wasn't like a point to it. You know, whereas all the other train games that I've played, with the exception of maybe Transamerica. You know, you're you're building routes to kind of move. Them. Well, no, Ticket to Ride, you're not moving anything either. Um, no, you're just building. And that might be the I best way know. to describe it. Is Dominion yeah. meets Ticket to Ride. Yeah, yeah, that, but that could be it. Yeah, I don't know what it give what it gave you, what it gives you that is better than just setting up Dominion. Right, you know? they're yeah, both pretty yeah. abstract. They're both, yeah. you know, a pretty straightforward deck building. It's but it's still the ten stacks, and you know, like you yeah. said, the victory points are the same. The only thing is moving little route to- or putting yeah, tokens yeah. on the board. Yeah, the you know? spatial considerations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and but it didn't seem like you said it didn't seem like it was a deep enough addition enough. Yeah, to make it yeah. worth you know setting it up and pulling it out. And, you know, that, that could very well be it because, you know, I, I, I have been struggling to put my finger on why I got rid of that game. 
except for the fact that it was just never getting played. Mm-hmm. And so why was I hanging on to it? You know, so maybe maybe you've hit on something there. I'm not really sure. I'd be curious what other people uh, you know might think about that topic because um, it's definitely a well designed game. I remember when I first played it, I loved it because it was that whole notion of wow, it's Dominion with a board. Mm-hmm. And the board matters. You know, that's where you get your victory points for the most part. You can get your victory points through cards, but most of your meaty victory points are coming from that board. And wow, this is really cool. But then it kind of just died. It faded. It, it did a it did a quick fade for me. So, all right, what do we, what what do we got next? All right, next, we're going to bring up Arctic Scavengers. Aha. Uh-huh. All right. Well, I've done a review of Arctic Scavengers, and so I'll let you take the lead on this one. You tell me what you think. Okay, Arctic Scavengers is an interest has an interesting story. That you know, I'm not. I can theorize about, but I remember hearing about Arctic Scavengers like right around when Thunderstone was coming out, and then it disappeared. I think it was you know maybe released as a prototype or something like that. Maybe you know a few copies were self-published right. by the by the uh, create the designer, but and then supposedly Rio Grande bought it up, and then it's done. I didn't hear anything about it until just recently. Right, um, and it's really a good game. You know, it's it's got this uh, Arctic wasteland theme. Uh, you're buying supplies, but you're trying to get refugees. The refugees don't give you anything beneficial, but they are your points, yeah. your population to win the game. Which is very similar to Dominion. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's a necessary part, I think, in deck building, is that catch-up mechanic that, that automatically drops in. Is You know, as you gain victory, you slow down. Right. You're sabotaging yourself, yeah. you know. And I think that's an uh, an important part to most of these competitive deck builders. But the one really interesting thing that Arctic Scavengers brought was the cards you don't play are your silent bid for um, a secret card, right? You know, for a and a very powerful card too. You get yes. a couple of those, you are on your way to victory. You know, um, and there was some other stuff with the expansions which I didn't get a chance to tinker with that much um player powers and Mm -hmm, other mm -hmm. stuff like that but that idea of that silent bid really changed that game up to i think set it apart from some of the other uh, deck builders i can't really think of any other deck builders that have tried that or or done that you know where you you know i mean a few acres of snow has the reserve the idea of reserving cards for the future uh, but Dominion had that too with that island and some other cards mm-hmm. in all fairness to Dominion but I don't know I mean Arctic Scavengers that's really kind of their thing you know mm-hmm. the central deck that we talked about before where you dig through the, the, the trash pile mm-hmm. looking for useful stuff uh, that that's kind of new you know because you have your whole display of cards just like Dominion Yeah. but imagine then if you had another stack of cards that were cards that anybody could go into and look to try and find something useful. And I thought that was a really interesting idea. And then the idea of the, the, the kind of confrontation for that central card. You yeah. know? Well, you can, you, I can do my turn and buy something. Let's say I play one card and I'm sitting there with four cards. And then I pass a turn to you and I say I'm holding four. Right. There's you a know? little intimidation there too. Yeah. You know, There's a little then, bluffing. Yeah. Then you're left saying... Do I buy something or do I want that card? Right, you know, right. Or is he just holding garbage? Us, and only one of us knows the card. Yes. Which is another interesting mechanic. Somebody knows what the card is, but nobody else does. Yeah, and does that guy think it's right. worth it? And right. And then you can yeah. watch that player. Yeah. 
Yeah, if, if they go before you, yeah, you can get a, an idea of the value maybe of the card mm-hmm. um, by by seeing what they're holding back and, and bidding for, or maybe they're just bluffing and trying to get you to take a suboptimal move. So clearly, I cannot choose the cup in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing I think Arctic Scavenger, Arctic Scavenger is a pretty complete game in one box. Yes. You know, like yeah. you get five mini expansions with it. Like it is mm-hmm. pretty everything you need for a lot of play. You know, is right there in that game. I would agree with that. Um, I, I think that the game is 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 underrated, overlooked. Um, it had a brief resurgence when the latest printing came out, mm-hmm. and I I, th- I really do. I think it's a solid game. Uh, it's one that I think did. It, it also I felt the theme in that one, Jim. Yeah, I I, I really felt like that survivalist kind of. Trying to attract people to my kind of group, and we're going to try and see if we get through this apocalyptic future kind of thing, you know. And I, I did kind of feel the theme come through in that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was definitely a little bit more thematic than many of the the other deck builders. So, um, boy, I mean, uh, paperback we've already talked about that. That's a very modern one. That that's only a couple months out. Yep, um, and that is you know uh, you can see clearly the roots of Dominion there with no problem. Are, are there any other ones that you were thinking about? Um, I have. What do I have on here? Um, I haven't played Lewis and Clark. Is there a deck building aspect to that that I'm not aware of? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Lewis and Clark again is is another fantastic example of a thematic kind of a deck builder because uh, Lewis and Clark, like all the cards, I believe are unique. They're all different people different characters from that period of history and they all do different things for you and so lewis and clark at its heart is a race game Mm -hmm. but you're using a sort of deck building engine to move along the board board. and so that's very very different um than than dominion uh you still are kind of you have a, a starting deck of cards you are going to use those cards to do things in the game um, to you know, move your expedition along to uh, get yourself some new cards. Uh, it has that wonderful idea of dual use cards. You know, like so many games that I love, especially Carl Chudik games. You know, uh, but but even going to games like San Juan. You know, where the card can be played as a building, the card can be used as money, the card can be so. There's multiple use cards, right? Like Glory to Rome, it can be a client, it can be a building material, it can be a role, it can be all these different things, right? Um, You have a little bit of that in Lewis and Clark as well, because you're going to use the card either to power another one of your cards or boost another one of your cards, um, or you're going to use it, you know, um, for the, the action on that card. So you have to make really tough choices, and you have the ability to buy new cards and add them to your deck, and then those are going to increase your options, increase your abilities, but they're also sometimes going to hamper you, you know, because you get penalized if you end your kind of, um, I don't know, I don't remember exactly how it's put, but if you choose to move your camp when you still have cards in your hand, you actually take a penalty for that. Mm. Like, you want to have all of your cards played and out of your hand before you decide to declare, I'm going to make camp. Because if you have too many supplies or cards left in hand or too many native allies with you, you're actually going to lose time. You go backwards, right? So the management of your deck is is really huge. And it reminds me of Dominion 
in the management of your deck there. You know, you choke your deck with coppers and you don't have a card that somehow is making coppers really worthwhile for you, <laughs> you're going to lose, yeah. you know. Um, you know, you, you you buy too many victory point cards too early, you're going to be loaded down and you're not you're going to be sluggish. You're not going to be able to do stuff. Just like in Lewis and Clark, you get too many allies, too many supplies. You're so weighted down with material and with people that you're not going to move very far. So there's that really interesting kind of um, balancing act that you have to do with Dominion. Dominion's a lot about timing. And so, and we talked about that in the episode we did. You know, when do you switch gears? When mm-hmm. do you go from buying, you know, cards and building that engine and then letting that engine run, right? And Lewis and Clark has some of that too that tension of balancing between the resources you're gaining, the cards you're playing. You, you need to run lean, you need to run efficient. It's almost like trying to play Dominion where you're constantly thinning your deck. You know, okay. you, you, it's, a, it's that kind of feel to me. Now, I have heard or read uh, a complaint about it that as you're traveling, your path is basically your score because you're just trying to get to the end, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you fall too far behind, it's nearly impossible to catch back up. You know, like if you don't, uh, what is it? If you're not over the mountains and the other guy is, you're kind of maybe a little hosed. Uh, I'm going to say no because I've seen people pull off enormous water moves in one turn. Like where they've gone from almost the beginning of the board to the foothills of the mountains in one shot. You know, I've seen people pull that off. You know, they they build a slow deck, they they get cards, they get you know, and and they they they're not very efficient and they lag behind, they lag behind, they lag behind, and then boom, they just jump. And they can catch up to you and close ground really quickly. Um, if the player who managed to get through the mountains has a balanced deck between water and mountain movement, if they get through the mountains before you get to the mountain, you know, before you kind of get up there, you're probably going to lose. Okay. But if you have someone who had some sort of special cards or very costly cards, you know, that will allow you to move in mountains but at a high cost, then it's going to take them so long to turn those cards to get through the mountains that you still... You, if you have cards that are going to allow you to move more efficiently, you'll be able to catch them. So I don't know that it's necessarily over if someone gets you know, through that first mountain pass because the biggest difficulty in the game, at least in my opinion, is the water between the two mountains. Okay. The the water between the two mountain ranges is extremely difficult to manage because it's one thing to get to the mountains and then you kind of like plan it so that you can get through the mountains. But then you got to get through the water and then into the mountains again without wasting a lot of moves, without wasting a lot of resources because the water path like you might be so efficient at moving in water that you're you're wasting everything because you only have to go so far. You got this little piece of water that you're trying to move through, and then that ends up boogering you, uh, or you have to make camp early and you got a lot of cards. You actually move backwards, and so you're still stuck in the water. You thought you were ready to start moving through the mountains, but because you made one miscalculation, you had to move one space back, and guess what? I'm in the stinking water again. Now I have to worry about getting out of the water into the mountains. And then, meanwhile, someone can catch up to you. Okay. So, if, so if, it is kind of designed to, to 
the the track is I guess is maybe designed with those intentional hiccups to kind of there are choke points you. yeah okay. there are definite choke points on that map and and I think again it's a game that rewards experience I think an experienced player will probably always win that game so you know well that was a good sneeze oh, thank you I might edit that I might leave that in now no you don't really <laughs> Unless you're going to say "bless you," which I'm is the appropriate response, <laughs> or as Seinfeld taught us, "bless you." Yes, you are, so good you are what? <laughs> you are so good looking. <laughs> you are so good. I don't remember that. You don't remember that? Oh, oh, that's that a great episode. Yeah, Seinfeld. All right. Uh, All right. What What do you got left? All right. We only got a couple left here. We're in the home stretch. We're um, in the home stretch. We're we've like, talked a bit about Dice Masters. I don't know if we. Need yeah, to we can. We can forget about Dice okay. Masters. We already talked about. Um, that. Let's go with. Mar or Legendary Aliens, the sequel to the Legendary game. I, I haven't played it, but it. I'm looking forward to trying it out. It's just it seems like be legendary in the Aliens universe, but I've heard good things. I've heard it's a really thematic experience. Copies yeah, the movies yeah. and does a good job. So I've heard great things about it, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah, honest. me neither. But All then right. this is the game, my game of 2014. Really, Star Realms. Oh, Star Realms. Okay. All right. Tell I me about Star Realms. Testify, Star Jim. Realms. Go for it. This game is fantastic. For $15, you get a excellent two-player deck-building game. Head-to-head combat. Um, it's really just currency again, but your attack currency is spent blowing the crap out of your opponent. <laughs> so... so um, Real simple, it's got that conveyor belt mechanism. You're going to lay out your six cards. You're buying spaceships as a space-themed game. Or stations. Or space stations. Um, stations are interesting. You can lay them out in front of you, and they're going to give you a benefit each turn. Yeah, they stay. They're, they stay. they're like that. It's like that Core Worlds mechanism where yes. you put a card in front of you, and it stays there until, until you use it yep. in some way, or until somebody else blows it up. But the simplicity and speed, though, of Star Realms is just you know amazing. Like They, they can give you a rewarding experience in 20 minutes. You know, of just buying these spaceships, conquering the galaxy, and again, it just comes down to it's very straightforward. Destroy, take away all your opponent's life. It's, yeah. it's the closest to a Magic the Gathering style game since that is also a deck builder. Yeah. You know, you have uh, four colors, you're building combos with, um, and as you go through and you start memorizing those cards, um, you really can start to get a plan. Now, again, conveyor belt style. You can't look at the deck and say, all right, I'm going to go red this time. Right, right. You know? but And it's not thematic, really. It's really just a numbers game, a numbers crunching game. But, you know, I found it to be just an incredibly fun and rewarding. I'm dying to get the expansion packs that are coming out soon. I got I got a pre-order. Yeah, yeah, so do I. The, the, that new... Yeah, they're doing like a four-bundle like pack four or bundle, something. four-bundle, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that coming, yeah. Um, but, and they've done a lot of... There are there, even though you could say in some ways this stripped everything out, like you know, like strip it all down and deck building at its core. Right. But at the same time, they've added some really original ideas here to the deck building family. Um, Tell me about them, Jim. Uh, all right. So first, let's go with multiplayer. You know, yes. they they have a f- couple different multiplayer modes. You know, one's attack anybody. One is the one I like is. Everybody against one. I think it's called Emperor. Yes, I um, love that. Yeah. It's really fun. Oh, and okay, so it's a two-player game for fifteen dollars. Buy a second deck, you mix them all together, you got a four-player game. Yeah. Buy a third deck, mix them all together, you got a six-player game. 
That's crazy talk. It's it's amazing. Now how much would you pay? <laughs> how much would you pay? <laughs> well, don't answer. <laughs> yes, because there's more. Um, all right, so in Emperor, uh, you one player um, plays the Emperor against the um, all the other players. It's a he will buy. He gets more cards in his hand, right? And he has more, more life, health. More he? health. He has more yes. health. Right. Yes. Depending yeah. on the number of players, he will have more health. Um, so he's got a more powerful engine, and then he's just going to attack, and then you know, again, it just comes down to last man standing. Right. You know? Right. And but everybody going after him. I mean, I remember you and I talking about this, and and you said something that I thought was really interesting and, and prophetic, which is you said. You know that 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 play mode works so well and is so intriguing. It's only going to be so long before someone else uses it in another design. Yeah, you know, like yeah. multiplayer against one, well, like you know? Dice Masters. Like right now, it doesn't have a multiplayer version. Like right. that would be the perfect way. You know, give them more dice and make them you, you're the villains and we're the heroes, and we go at it. You know, and you can buy from your villain stacks and we can buy from our hero stacks, and that's just we'll just play it that way. Yeah, yeah. you know. But um, um, also I think Starums had another um. Innovation, self-scrapping cards for powers. Yeah, yeah, you know that is one of the hearts of this game. That mitigates a bit of your conveyor belt uh, randomness. Like, hey, there's no red ones out. I can buy that yellow one, and then just scrap it when it comes back around. You know, right. I'll, I'll use its power, make you discard, and I'll scrap it and draw an extra card. You know, it's not clogging my deck or ruining my plan. You know, but and that on a another. S- sense I think that is an important part to your or one of the skills I guess to playing the game is knowing when to scrap you know again timing comes into it right knowing when you should scrap that am I at the point where I can really push to try and you know you know take the last shots at this guy or also do I need a little bit of extra damage to blow up that one powerful base that you have out right you know I can't blow it up right now but if I scrap my um, machine base or something like that. Right. It'll give me a few extra damage points, and I can blow up that base and get that. So you're not getting that benefit anymore because mm-hmm. it might be too powerful, you know. And so that does it quite yeah. a bit, you yeah. know. And it's again, but it's so simple. You can play this game. You know, this is gateway. Anyone can play it. And, but I mean, you are straight attacking each other, so you know yeah. you have to be into yeah. a confrontational game. But I think this is. Uh, Next Dominion, this is my favorite uh, deck-building game. Wow, okay. Uh, I would add one thing to what you said, which is I also find um, the card combo powers fascinating. Oh, yes. So, you know, if I have one blob card, one blob ship, but I have another blob card, uh, every card, uh, for the most part, has two layers to it. And so the first layer is the benefit you're going to get by playing the card. The second layer is a secondary benefit that will kick in as long as there is another card of that faction, of that color, that's in the uh, cards that you play in front of you. And so you can quickly, uh, you know, ramp up some incredible buying power or destructive power by playing multiple cards from the same faction. And so, you know, as you said, it reminds me a little bit of Ascension in that way. I don't know that Ascension had too many cards. Your constructs would sometimes synergize with other cards. And I think your lifebound mm-hmm. heroes often would uh, have a little bit of that. You know, if you played another lifebound hero uh, this turn, you get this extra benefit. And so 
this game really takes that and and runs with it i think and and adds that as a a whole nother piece to the puzzle but in a very easily digested way so uh, i i think i'm in agreement with everything that you say I, I think it's a it's a great little game i was really lucky i picked up uh i just happened to be putting in a cool stuff order knew nothing about star realms just saw it was like in the side banner and it was like huh it's like twelve dollars mm-hmm. and i was like yeah, what the heck? And I clicked on it, I looked at it, and it said for two players or more if you buy multiple decks. So I was like, yeah, I'll buy two decks. And that was the first print run, and then everybody lost their mind, and you could not find that game for, like, what, three, four months. Yeah, this it one was it- completely out of print. And, you know, fortunately, I got to tell them, you know, I, I got to say, you know, I, I met those guys that run that company, and you know you got to give them props you got to give them kudos because they came out with a really well designed tight little game for an extremely reasonable price and then once the game hit big at like you know uh, uh origins there was a lot of buzz and then gen con it blew up mm-hmm. at gen con um man they got that reprint coming soon i mean they yep. they they turned around and i you know i know that uh I agree with what Tom Vassell says. There is not, because I, I know some publishers and I've talked with them. There is no publisher that does not want to have games to sell you. I understand that. But when I think about how WizKids completely underestimated the demand, I mean, you still can't get that first set of Dice Masters. Good luck with that. Oh, yeah. You can't get that. What? The, 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 the uh, uh, X-Men versus Avengers. You can get the Uncanny X-Men pretty reasonably. But, I mean, they, they just kind of shot themselves in the foot with that. And it took them forever to get distribution kind of back on track and supply back on track. Not distribution, supply uh, with a reprint. And, you know, the guys at Star Realms, boy, they were able to turn that around quick. Um, and, and that, you know, I really think that was that was good. That was good business practice. Um, definitely some... some uh, Either that or just much better luck. You know, maybe WizKids just had horrible luck. I don't know, Jim. Yeah, well, it might just be the difference between printing dice and printing cards. Yeah. You know, and that small box and the way that they packaged it really helped them out, I think, to get a quick turnaround. I hate the box, though, Jim. I've trashed my boxes. You know, there was something about those boxes. the, The way the flaps were, it was impossible, pretty much, to open those boxes without ripping the box. Mm hmm. And yeah, I see. There's a as we're recording. There's a cat, Jim's cat. He's been eyeing up the computer now for a while. He's been and now to make he's that decided leap. at one hour fifty three minutes. You people are done. I'm getting up there and I'm checking out the computer. Um, I would take a picture of the cat and post it because apparently <laughs> nothing goes on BGG like cat pictures. Oh, we'll have um, to get him to sit in a game the box. Cat, or yes, we'd have to get him to sit in a, sit in on the computer while we're recording the podcast, and then people <laughs> be like, "Oh, look at the kitty on the podcast." Anyway, um, I right, get so, a little punchy now, Jim. Yeah, we're almost two right. hours in. What do two we got? Two more. Got? Two, two more, more games. I got listed oh. down here. Two oh, more goodness. games. All right, go. The first go. one you have played, and I believe you are. Our kickstarting is baseball, the 2045 uh, Mike Fitzgerald game. Baseball highlights 2015, 2045, whatever it is. 2045, I think. All right, so this is a game that I had zero interest in. I thought it sounded... Sorry, Mike, you know I love you. I thought it sounded stupid. I was like, why do we have robots playing baseball? I don't like this. This is dumb. 
I love the idea of a deck builder for baseball. That's cool. Why can't we just make it baseball? Why does it have to be future baseball? And then, you know, the game is different. It's not like baseball. And I don't know. I was, I was very grumpy about it. I was very skeptical about it. I, I really, as much as I love Mike, I was just like, man, this theme makes no sense to me. I don't like this at all. And then I played it. And uh, what Mike Fitzgerald has done <laughs> is he has managed to take all of the best parts of baseball, which involves pitching, hitting, and catching. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, <laughs> you catch the ball, but mostly throwing the ball and hitting the ball, okay? Um, a little bit of base running management, which is really cool as well. Uh, and he's managed to turn it into a really good game. Um, you are basically, uh, you know, you talk about deck building. You're you're drafting, you're drafting players to be on your team. You have like a you have like a deck of possible. It's like your minor leagues. Okay. And then you can draft them onto your team. You can call them up to the big leagues, right? <laughs> and each of these um, cards has different kind of abilities you know some of them are really good at hitting some of them are really good at running some of them are amazing pitchers some of them are fantastic at fielding and they're going to catch just about any hit that's made right um and so you know as you the, the the fascinating part about the game is as you play another player usually playing a series of games and as you play the other player you kind of really more than just about any other deck builder that i can think of um you, you are really analyzing the other player's deck. What is the other player's team good at? And now, how can I adjust my team? How can I adjust my strategy? How can I adjust what I'm playing, the cards that I'm playing? How can I adjust that to counter the other player's strength? And I really like that. It was kind of like a mind versus mind. It reminded me a little bit of Netrunner. Okay. That kind of my mind versus your mind. You know, I, I have a pretty good idea what you're good at. I, I know what your tendencies are as a player. And I'm going to play you as much as I'm playing this deck builder. So, you know, you take my skepticism. Uh, you, you, you take all of that. And, you know, I think a lot of people would have looked at that as kind of this is goofy. Right? This is just goofy. But when you play the game... Uh, it's actually quite a lot of fun, and uh, it's fast. It's a fast game. It is not a long game. Mike does not like long games, mm -hmm. and I think this design shows it. I mean, again, um, you know, Mike is, is has got a long history, uh, Mike Fitzgerald, of designing really great card games, and uh, I actually think he's getting better with age. I'll go on record with that. <laughs> I mean, Diamonds is absolutely phenomenal as a game. Uh, and, and this game is, is really engaging. And I could just totally see myself playing it with my son. You know, okay. I, I, and I, I'm kind of hoping it'll get him into baseball a little bit. <laughs> that I could use it to get, like, baseball, like, in the back door somehow. <laughs> like, get him interested in, like, hitters and catchers and fielders and, you know... Uh, pitchers and, and try to get him and, and I also appreciate the job that Mike and, and the rest of the development team did uh, with like the names like all the cards are named and they're kind of they're often mixtures of famous baseball players names right yeah so that that's kind of fun you know when you look at the card and you're like oh I know what this is you know so uh, I, I think it's I think it's a really a good game and I'm anxious 
to finally get my hands on it. But I think the last I read was like February, like late February. Oh, okay. Um, I'm gonna look into this because it sounds like instead of just playing one game, you know, you're playing a season. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, I mean, you, and, and, and there's even like a, a, a whole and, like World Series thing. You can yeah, do. yeah, yeah. Then, like for me as a sports fan, I'm find the bureaucracy of sports fascinating you know like <laughs> i just there i love nfl draft day and i love you know watching the trades go down and you know i think too many sports games concentrate on just trying to mimic the game you right. know i would love to have a, a nfl game that you know played a season you know of mm-hmm. managing mm-hmm. my team and you know dealing with injury and you know trying to you know, become the best, you know, the Super Bowl champion at the end or something like that along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, so yeah, that one sounds like a great one. I haven't had the chance to play it, but I'm looking forward to trying it out. And then finally, uh, if you want to just touch back on Paperback, because I don't think we've given its due, that game is fantastic. Uh, I have done a review of Paperback uh, that was in a recent episode of the show, so I'm going to let you tell everybody what you think of Paperback. All right, I've just gotten this one recently, and it is a word game. Based uh, on whose recommendation? On your recommendation. That's right, that's right. I just want to get on the record. Okay, there we go. uh, Go online to Tim Fowler's website and pick this up. Um, It is in a beautiful small box. It's just a quick card game, and again, it's got a simplicity that you can play with anyone because if if anyone's interested in a word game, you know, um, it's perfect for couples, things like that. you uh, will draw your five cards, and they have letters on them and some wild cards, and you're going to try and make a, a, a word, and they're going to score some points, and you're going to use those points to buy new letters or victory points. It's that simple. All right, some of the And some of the other uh, cards have um, abilities that let you draw more cards, and in some way that balances it out. Like, you may be an excellent at creating words, but I might be able to tweak the system to draw more cards and gain more money so I can buy better victory points that way, you know? So you can really kind of work both of those sides so it can bring gamers and word game fans together. Um, I played a bunch with my wife, played a couple times with my kids, and again, in that box, there's five, six expansions as mm-hmm, well. Like, mm-hmm. it's really loaded um, with a lot of uh, replay value. Uh, so I can't recommend it highly enough. It's another great game. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with uh, what you said there. We're we're not in uh, any disagreement on this game at all. And and uh, you know if if uh, people are interested in my thoughts on it, it's it's in the review um, from uh, uh, the show earlier in January, which was uh, oh I think that was the episode we did on dice games in general uh, that I did with Joel Eddy and uh, uh, T C Petty. So if you you go back and look for the dice games episode, you see that uh, I would agree. Um, you know that there's a lot of things that make that game special. And not just a Dominion clone, but it is it is fascinating to me that a game that good that I like that much um, uses that core Dominion engine almost untouched, Jim, mm-hmm. from Dominion, which was released so long ago. You know, yeah. Um, and we have gone through this rather exhaustive list, and it's not not by any means uh, that's not all. Of them. No, no, those are just the ones that. You know, one of the two of us had some experience with, or both of us did, right? So, you know, I think we can agree that, you know, that the ripples, you know, this this is not a pebble that was thrown in a pond. This is a boulder, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we're still seeing the ripples of Dominion. I think we're going to continue to see it. I, I think um, the, the, the steps that I see in the future uh, is more of 
this integration of deck building into a larger game. You know, another game we didn't even talk about is uh, one of my favorites from last year, which is Matt Gertz Concordia. Not and, I played that. you know, Concordia is, you know, again, it's, it's basically a deck builder. You know, you have a hand of cards, you use those cards, and then you get to reshuffle them and use them again. Uh, you actually kind of, you know, put them back in your hand. There's a card that you play that lets you take your discards back into your hand. And the unique thing about Concordia for me, Jim, uh, which, you know, I guess now we're, we're, we're talking about a little bit, is the fact that in Concordia, it's like playing Dominion where all of the cards that you buy are available at once. Because you take your whole hand of cards in Concordia back into your hand. And then you choose the order in which you want to play them and the order in which you want to use them on your future you know, subsequent turns until such time as you play one of your cards, which allows you to take the cards in your discard pile back into your hand again, right? Uh, the game rewards you for playing all of your cards or as many of your cards as you can before you, you do that. It's almost a, it's almost a pass turn mm-hmm. when you play the card to pull your cards back. But it's a fascinating take on deck building. Um, you know, because you still draw a hand of cards. You still have your own personal deck. Your, you have a display of cards, almost Ascension style, that is from a, a central deck that flops out onto the board. And uh, they are a varying expense depending on their position. And the cards that have been out the longest are the cheapest. The cards that are newest are most expensive. And so that's the whole kind of deck building part. But it's integrated into a classic kind of Euro game uh, about, uh, you know, expansion and development and... Uh, uh, buying and selling goods and trading in the Mediterranean, right? So it's this wonderful kind of, you know, I, I expect to see more of that. Um, and, and I really do expect to see more of what you're talking about. I, I'm looking to see um, how much of this semi-co-op or uh, three-against-one kind of feel in, in deck building mm-hmm. is going to come. And I'm also really intrigued by... Uh, uh, the idea that you and I have talked about and we've kicked around of the idea where all players are building a deck together. Oh, yes. Um, you know, a sort of a central deck builder is kind of what I'm calling that. So, um, you know, may- maybe we'll get back to that idea one of these days. But that idea of uh, a communal deck instead of individual decks, which I think is a-, a fascinating kind of idea, too. So I think there's still room for deck building and board game design. I think there's still going to be room for it. Um, did you, you know, feel the same? Or, oh, yeah. Or? Well, I mean, even if you look, uh, the last two <clears throat> games that we talked about, Star Realms and Paperback, they're two of my favorites out of all these other ones, and they just came out. Right. You know, they're six months old. Is Star Realms. Paperback just came out. Um, and, you know, it, it. you know what bothers me a little bit is when I hear someone say, oh, it's just another deck building game. But no one ever says that about, oh, it's just another worker placement game. Yeah, you know, uh, for some reason we have more leeway for, or it seems that the community has more leeway for worker placement games than they do for deck builders. Um, and I think deck building and Dominion in particular is probably the most important game since possibly Magic: The Gathering. You know, I don't think anything else has had this kind of an explosion so quickly since the CCG boom of the early '90s. Um, there have been other really innovative mechanics since then, but mm-hmm. nothing mm-hmm. has taken off like this and has been so widespread. So, I mean, with all of these um, <clears throat> themes and different takes on it, I mean, there's probably a game in here for just about anyone. 
Yeah. You know, you've got things that take three, four hours to play, you know, of different themes, different complexity levels, really uh, difficult games to gateway games, all with the same central idea. Right. You know, this deck building mechanic. And yeah, I cannot wait to see where it goes from here. You know, um, you know, I'm always excited to see what the next deck builder is and how it's going to change uh, this um, mechanic and, and push us into a, a new uh, realm of design. You know, but. Yeah, and it's interesting because as much as I hear you saying that you're looking forward to that innovation, you know, you're, you're one of your favorite Star Realms, there's not a ton that's super innovative in that game. And yet, it's a great game. And it's fun to play. It's a blast, and uh, it's not just a blast because it's a good value, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people make a lot, us included, about the value of Star Realms in the same way that people made such a big fuss about the value of Dungeon Roll. Oh, you yes. know? And they're like, yeah, look at all this. You get this for like $15. Yeah, but the game's pretty lousy. It's not a very good game. It's average. It's it's less than average, dude. It is not a very good game. It's a pretty poor game. And yet people are like, yeah, but dude, it only costs $15. Yeah, I don't care if it only costs $15 if it's a terrible game, right? Mm-hmm. Star Realms is, you know, what, a $15, $20 game, and it's not a terrible game. No, know? that game is fantastic. It, it, it takes the, the best things that most people like about Dominion and ports them into this setting. A couple little tweaks, most notably the different play modes and the multiplayer kind of stuff. And it's not, I'm not saying Dominion is not multiplayer. I'm just saying that these alternate play modes, team kind of play mode mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the, the uh, Emperor kind of play mode, that's some fascinating stuff. It's, it's uh, yeah. some, some really great stuff. And you got the Gambit cards and things that have been added in there. So uh, I think I agree with you. I think there's, there's some new things to come, but I think there's also room for another Star Realms. You know, just a game that just does it just really well. It doesn't have yeah. to be blindingly innovative or new. It just has to be good. Well, yeah, Star Realms is so clean. Like, they stripped it all away and mm-hmm. took just mm-hmm. the great parts and then just a little bit of their own innovations, you yep. know. Yep. Um, and they just made something just fantastic. Well, Jim, uh, I, I want to thank you for being on the show tonight. We've we've had quite uh, the discussion, as I knew it would be, as I, as I know you knew it would be, which is why we wanted to split. If we had kept this as one episode, it, it would have approached the realms of the five hours or something like that so i'm glad that we decided to do this in two episodes i want to thank people out there who were interested in waiting for this episode for being patient i want to thank you jim for agreeing to finish up what we started uh so many months ago and for being on the show well let's just talk about short games from now (laughs) (laughs) i think there's definitely room for us to do that so uh you know thanks again jim for being on the show Now it's time for a new game review. Join us for a quick look here on The Long View. So the first game that uh, I want to talk about today um, is actually a game that I covered briefly in my post-Gen Con report. Uh, That is Imperial Settlers. 
Um, this is a game that uh, I had the opportunity to play at Gen Con when it was brand new, and Ignacy had just released the title. Uh, it's a game for two to four players. It is billed as a civilization game, and it's really kind of like a tableau building game. Uh, and everything is kind of based off of cards, and with the idea that you have a unique civilization uh, for each player. And so I played this game at Gen Con, and I was really underwhelmed by it. I really just did not particularly care for it. Uh, I thought it was kind of more of the same of stuff that I'd seen before. Uh, I found the game to be a little bit um, kind of uh, uh, punishing, a little bit dry. I don't know. I I just really didn't care for it. And so in my post-Gen Con sort of wrap-up, I reviewed the game briefly and said, you know, I didn't care for it. Um, Well, here's the thing. I am going to issue my first retraction uh, here that I've ever issued on the Longview um, because I had a chance to play the game again uh, a few months ago, and apparently I was taught uh, the game uh, by a very kind person who taught me at Gen Con, and you know certainly, hey, I have been the person to mess up rules in a game, you know, explanation and demo. I don't know how many times, but. Uh, you know, so so certainly nothing against the gentleman that taught us. He was very kind to uh, let us try and let us play. Uh, however, he taught us the game completely wrong. So uh, really my judgment was based off of um, faulty information. And so I really wanted to kind of talk about this game a little bit, uh, just in case there are people out there who may have been swayed a little bit by, you know, what I had said and had not listened to, uh, you know, other people who have reviewed the game positively. And, uh, you know, I just kind of felt bad in general. Um, So I wanted to kind of issue a retraction and sort of update my review of Imperial Settlers. So uh, here we go. Um, What I was taught wrong, I think, is going to illustrate why I now like the game. So we're going to kind of cover that in just a few moments. But at its heart... Each player uh, in this game plays for two to four players at at the moment. I'm hoping that maybe it'll expand later. But right now it's for two to four players. And each player is going to be a specific um, civilization. So you might be the Romans, or you could be the Barbarians, or you could be the Japanese, or uh, you could be the Egyptians. So those are the kind of four that come in the box. And the trick here is that each faction that is in the game has its own unique deck of cards. And this is called your faction deck. And this deck is going to be buildings and things of that nature that you can build that thematically are tied into the culture that you're representing. So, for example, if I'm playing the Egyptians, I might have the ability to build the Sphinx, or I might you know, be building some obelisks, right? If I am the Romans, then I might be building baths, or I might be building banks, or I might be building other things that you might think of when you consider the Romans. I could build legions and things of that nature, right? So uh, I think there's a Colossus that you can build. Build, although I usually associate with that with the Greeks, but basically it's a giant memorial statue, right? So there are different kinds of buildings in each of these faction stacks, and they each really do different things. And that's one of the fun things about the game, is that the uh, cards in the faction deck, uh, there's a lot of unique flavor in there, and you're only really going to go through a portion of that deck each game. Uh, it's very rare for you to be able to cycle through the entire thing because the game also has what's called the common deck. And so these are kind of just general kind of buildings that anybody can build. They're not faction-specific. 
Uh, more importantly, they are uh, also required in many cases for you to build one of your powerful faction buildings because when you build a faction building, you're basically going to kind of overbuild or remove one of these kind of um, common buildings. All right, and that's kind of the the cost. Part of the cost of many of your faction buildings is to do that. So. Um, you're going to have this kind of balance that you're going to have to maintain between cards in your hand that are from the common deck and cards uh, that are from your faction deck. And so, therefore, it's going to be rare for you to be able to really drill super deep down through that faction deck for the end of the game because the game only lasts for five rounds. Now, the, all of that sounds really interesting. Uh, there are buildings that you can build on uh, two sides of your board. Your board is actually just this narrow strip of cardboard that has some nice art on it and some reminders and things of that nature. But anything that you build on the right is going to be from the common deck. These are kind of common buildings that you might build. You might build a village or you might build, you know, different kinds of uh, resources, you know, a quarry or, a, uh, you know, a, a forest or something of that nature to, to help you gather resources. On the other side, the left side, that's where your faction buildings go. And the game encourages you to build a lot of faction buildings in two ways. The first way is that buildings on your faction side are going to be worth two victory points apiece at the end of the game, whereas common buildings are only worth one. So that's kind of the first reason. The second reason is that um, buildings that you have on the common side are subject to attack by other players. Other players can actually go after and destroy each other's buildings, which is a lot of direct interaction that you don't see in most Eurified kind of civilization games. You just don't have the opportunity to do that. So that was something that I really found interesting and fascinating when I first heard about the game. But when I played it, it didn't really work out for me. Well, all of these things sound like positives because you've got a lot of variety, you have differentiation between your factions, uh, you know, you got a little bit of a light civ building feel, resource management, people management. All of this should equate to a game that I really, really like. Uh, however, I didn't. And that was because, once again, uh, unfortunately, I played by the wrong rules. And the rules that I played by um, did not... The gentleman that taught us didn't realize that uh, many of the buildings that you can activate through using your workers, your population, can only be activated once per round. Uh, and so there's a card for the barbarians, for example, that you put a person on there uh, and you can actually steal a resource from one of your neighbors. And so uh, he, uh, as the barbarians, and the barbarians have a sort of innate uh, population. They have a large population. They're the barbarian horde, right? So uh, they... Uh, are, you know, he has a lot of people. So he was able to just continually place and activate that card and basically steal all of my resources every single round. So there was really nothing I could do throughout the entire game. So that really put a sour taste in my mouth. And I talked about it in my original review that I thought some cards were overpowered. Well, that's kind of the card that I was talking about. Turns out that you can't do that. So that, of course, would have drastically changed the game for me and for the other players at the table because I wasn't the only person being targeted by that card. Um, in your tableau, all of your cards are going to be activated usually only once. And if they can be activated more than once, it'll say maybe activated twice or something like that. So that was something that was just a miss. It was a miss by all of us, not just the person who taught us. And so, uh, you know, that was a reason why I kind of felt the game was broken. Uh, I didn't like it at all. And I think, you know, it's kind of clear why we were playing it wrong. Um, the other thing that I missed is that in this game, when you uh, build a, a certain type of structure, there are three different types of structures that you can build. You can build what are called sort of resource-generating buildings, um, buildings that are what are called features, 
And these are buildings that uh, you know will give you some sort of benefit usually when you build them, victory points or extra resources, and uh, you know, but like a one-time, one-shot thing. And then there are the third layer of cards, which are action cards, and these are the ones that you can activate with resources or with population or whatnot. And so you have these three different types of cards, yes? Well, when you build a production card on your turn, that's in that top row of cards of, of these three rows that you can build in your civilization, you immediately take the production that that card produces. You don't have to wait until the start of your next turn to see that production. Well, this just hugely impacts the game because many times you can build a card using some of your precious resources that will give you resources that will allow you to then immediately on your next turn build another card that will then gain you some resources. So the game quickly becomes about uh, one about chaining and combinations, but mostly about chaining. If you are able to get cards into your hand and efficiently manage them in such a way that you can kind of use cards to synergize in the building of other cards, not so much synergize with each other in what they do, but in how the one can lead to help with the building of another. Think Seven Wonders here, where you build a science building that will allow you to build another one for free. Well, this is kind of, in effect, uh, loosely the same thing, because if I build a building that you know I need wood and stone for, and I have another building in my hand that requires two stone, um, but the building that I'm building is going to produce stone, so then I sacrifice the stone and the wood in order to build the quarry, but the quarry then immediately gives me back two stone, which I can then use to build the other building that requires stone, and on and on and on. So it becomes this kind of neat puzzle of can you uh, you know optimize the cards that you have in your hand through clever play so that you can gather the resources that you need either through building production buildings that will give you extra resources or people or um, the other you know route is through raising cards in your hand and this is where you kind of get to discard a card from your hand and when you do you're going to get a resource benefit immediately right so I'm sacrificing a card, but I'm getting resources, which then maybe I could use in order to, um, you know, build another card that's more powerful, beneficial to me, or some such thing, right? So the first time I played, we didn't do that. And so the game was over very quickly, as you can imagine. You have a very limited pool of resources every turn. And so the first turn was over in like three minutes, and then the second round was only marginally longer because we all ran out of resources so quickly and were not taking that production bonus um, when, when we took it. We were taking the build bonus. Some of the cards will say build bonus on them so that when you build, you get a resource or something. Uh, and we were doing that, but we weren't taking the production. So it completely slammed the brakes on the game and made it something that was just kind of unpleasant. And so all of this, uh, you know, the upshot is... Once I started playing this game by the correct rules, I found the game to be very enjoyable, a lot of fun. Um, definitely one of my top games from last year. It kind of went from being a dog to being in contention, like I'd say probably in my top 10 or 15, uh, to be honest with you. I, I think it is a fun game. I have played games where... You know, it's it's very solitaire-ish, where each person is pursuing their own sort of paths and, and you know, seeing who can do the better job of, of gaining victory points through clever combinations of buildings and workers and resources. 
And the last game I played at the recent ColCon uh, there in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, a nice little first-time convention, um, was really aggressive and nasty. Like, we were going after each other left and right and, and raising each other's buildings because you can basically attack common cards and destroy them. And then the, the benefit that you as the attacker get is whatever is in that sort of raise field um, you know, that, that you get when you would normally sacrifice the card from your own hand. You get that from an opponent. And your opponent gets, like, I think a wood in compensation. I guess it's the, the splinters of the building that are left over. And uh, they also have the foundation that's still there. So that when they want to build one of their faction buildings, they still kind of are able to use the ruins of that old building in order to build their new fancy-schmancy faction building on top of it. So it's definitely harmful when you attack another player because you're taking away a victory point, number one, and number two, you're gaining resources that are going to help you extend your turn and perhaps uh, you know lead to more points for you. But it's not a total crippling loss for the player who was attacked because they still have the card in their tableau that they can sacrifice when they need to build a faction building and they get the sort of uh, wood resource of, you know, uh, as, as, you know, compensation. So, all in all, I've seen this game played in many different ways. Each faction does play differently. They have different strengths and weaknesses. And I really enjoy the use-it-or-lose-it kind of resource management in this game. Each faction is able to store one type of resource or good um, from one round to the next. Otherwise, you just lose it all. Kind of think of it like spoilage or something. So the Romans can store swords, and the swords are what you use to raise cards from your hand or attack other people. Okay, Because you know, the Romans were definitely expansionists, right? The uh, Egyptians, on the other hand, can store gold. And the barbarians can store people, right? So they, they just build up this ridiculous population as the game goes on. So really, really interesting. Uh, the Japanese have samurai that they can uh, uh, send out to guard their buildings so that uh, it's much more difficult for them to be attacked, although their faction buildings can be attacked, which makes them a little more vulnerable in some ways. So really neat stuff. So this is a game that I wanted to revisit here on the show because I basically trashed it and said it was boring and not very good and more of the same. And it turns out I was wrong about that. And that was just because we were playing the game wrong. So uh, I wanted to kind of issue that retraction and talk a little bit about why I like the game so much now. And hopefully after listening to, you know, the differences between the two different play experiences, you can understand why I didn't like it so much the first time and why I adore it so much right now. So that's Imperial Settlers. Keeping with our kind of civilization theme here in the review part of the show, uh, the last game I want to talk about is called The Golden Ages. This is by Luigi Farini, um, artist uh, Alexandra Roche. Uh, this is a game that's put out by Quinted Games, and it is for two to four players, put out in 2014, and plays in about 90 minutes, and this is kind of a light civilization game. Well, let me tell you a little bit about what I think of all that. Um, this game is kind of 
the best way I can describe it is this is the game that Tempest wanted to be. So, for those people out there who are familiar with Tempest, uh, that was Martin Wallace's attempt at a light civilization game. And it had a couple of interesting little ideas, but it was highly abstracted, and it didn't really kind of work. At least it didn't work for me. Uh, I played it many, many times uh, because I, I am a you know unabashed fan of Martin Wallace, but uh, it ended up going because it just wasn't something that I felt the theme coming through. It was too abstracted. It was too mechanical. And while I loved the dissemination of knowledge kind of concept in that game, where a technology that uh, a new innovation that you receive this turn is going to be disseminated to the other players in the following turns, it wasn't enough to hold the game together for me that, you know, I I felt that I wanted to keep it. So um, why am I bringing up Tempest? Well, in many ways, I kind of feel like the Golden Ages is also uh, highly abstracted. It is... Um, it's got some thematic elements in it. There are leaders uh, that you know are kind of going to come through the civilizations. There are wonders that can be built. Seems like that's standard in every single civilization game. There's technologies that you can buy um, and advance and upgrade and, and all of those kinds of things. But it's very, very eurified. It's, it's very streamlined. Um, the rules are quite simple and intuitive. It plays very quickly. 90 minutes is about accurate. Uh, and once you know know the game, I can knock out a two-player game of this in, in 60 minutes, no problem. So what makes this so much better? You know, Why is this Eurofication, if that's even a word, of a civilization game good and Tempest bad? You know, um, wh- Why does this work? Well, there's a few different reasons. Um, first, let me kind of explain a little bit about the game. So this is a light civilization game, and it is played on a map that is built as you start. Now, The map is made up of tiles you're going to place on a central grid. And that central grid, that kind of central map area, has some pre-printed islands and things that are on there as well. But we always start with this kind of same central tile. And uh, the tiles basically are these sort of amorphous blobs of land. And they have little resource icons, little circles on them. So the the resources could be iron, or they could be uh, food, or it could be gold, or, you know, different kinds of, of resources that you can try to gather. Wheat, you know, food. So... These kinds of uh, land areas are placed on the board throughout the different rounds. In other words, you start with this kind of uh, sample, you know, large tile in the middle. The the players are going to add a tile on the first round of the game. It's going to be kind of like their home territory. And then each round thereafter, you're going to be adding more tiles, more land. Well, if you put all of these tiles together in the right way, it simply forms a map of the world, you know, of the Earth, as we know, with the continents. Um, however, because there are some very simple basic rules for how to, to lay out the tiles, land must touch land, water must touch water, you actually can end up with a, a rather unique-looking little world, which is kind of cool and very interesting. So, the game is basically one in which you are going to be exploring, and then you're going to be kind of uh, using your population to gather resources, okay? So those resources are just like the ones that I mentioned before. You're also going to be using your population to do some research, you know, to try and scientifically advance, right? So your people are going to be advancing. So you start with, you know, the wheel, and then you get, like, you know, um, uh, you know, chariots, and then from there, uh, you know, you gain more efficient modes of transportation all the way up to, like, trains and flight, right? So 
there's a nice little tech tree that's included in this game that is really kind of nifty. Um, you know, everyone starts off with a, a kind of basic ability to build settlements all throughout the board. You can basically move your population to another location and kind of lay them down and found a city, you know, found a new settlement. And you get better and better at this. You know, your cities become larger and more important. You can gain, like, the architecture advance, which is going to make your cities kind of more valuable to you uh, and enable you to kind of um, uh, just kind of, like, make them larger, I guess, for lack of a better term, which is going to be worth more points to you. Um, you can continue to develop your tech tree in all of these different kinds of ways. Um, but it's, it's a limited tech tree. It's not overwhelming. We're not talking clash of cultures here where you have just so many different mind-boggling kind of um, sort of options and, and things and combinations that you can pursue. In this game, it is a little more linear, but in a good way. You know, the, the progression is very logical as you go down each of these technological advanced tracks. And, of course, the further you go, eventually they're worth victory points to you at the end of the game because this is a Eurofied game, so we're talking victory points here. And... Uh, you know, it kind of encourages all the players to pursue technological advancement because it's going to be gaining them points at the end of the game. Um, so uh, each civilization has uh, some leader cards that they're going to have, but they're going to be able to play out through each of the successive ages of the game. And the leaders are going to give you some sort of in-game benefit, either a one-shot benefit or an ongoing benefit. Uh, depending on what they are. And so at the start of each age, you can kind of replace the leader that you have with a new one for the new age or not. That's kind of a, a neat thing to do as well. Kind of gives you this progression of leaders. And, you know, the, the leaders, of course, you know, any kind of game like this, you do have those weird sort of connections where it's like, okay, I got the guy that kind of looks like Genghis Khan, but he's building, you know, the pyramids. And why is that happening? You know, so you got a little bit of that disconnect, almost like you had in Nations, which I hated so much. However, in this one, I, I can tolerate it a little bit better. Um, I don't really know why, other than I, I just kind of feel like th this game flows a little bit better, and the scale is so much larger, and it's so much more easy to see and visible. You know, you have an actual map that you're moving about on. And so, you know, what if Genghis Khan had swept through uh, all of Asia and Europe and then into North Africa? You know, I mean, who, who knows? You know, I don't know. Um, that I can kind of almost envision or see or buy much more than I could with nations where you kind of have these just rows and it's like, this is where wonders go and this is where buildings go and this is where that goes and that's it. This is a little bit more kind of freeform. Um, I, I guess it, it just kind of worked for me. I don't know if I'm doing a good job of describing why it works, and I still don't entirely know for myself, but it does for me. So you have leaders. You have endgame scoring cards, which are going to be different. And then you have this other wonderful thing where um, each age, when, when you um, end an age, the first person to pass out of an age, and you can't pass until you've utilized all of your workers, um, the first person to pass is going to get to pick one of these cards that's put up at the start of the game. And these are sort of interim scoring cards. And so it might be, you know, the person is going to score, um, you know, X amount of points for each wonder that they have built. Or, you know, X number of points for each city that they have on the board or something like that. So 
I really like that because, number one, it gives you a little bit of a, a midterm goal, a target to shoot for. And number two, it, it kind of gives you the opportunity, a reason for wanting to pass early. It gives you a, a kind of a tactical reason for wanting to pass and say, okay, I'm done because I've got three wonders built and everybody else either has one or none. And so this is actually going to benefit me more than anybody else because these cards, everybody scores for but if you can score it at a time when it's most advantageous for you, that's going to, you know, obviously be the best. So that's really kind of a neat mechanic that was thrown in there that I really enjoy. So um, you have a lot of different sort of parts to this game that all kind of interlock and work well together. You have exploration as the world opens up through successive ages. You have uh, a little bit of conflict. You can go and fight each other. There is conflict in the game. And it's very, again, Eurified. Um, you know, you basically pay money and you blow people up and that's kind of it. You know, it's, it's not like there's dice chucking. It's not like there's a lot of uncertainty. It's very deterministic kind of combat, but it's combat nonetheless. And so you can be rewarded for being the aggressor. Um, however, each time you launch a war against somebody else, you have to pay more and more and more money. And that money that you're paying is money that you could have also been spending on technological advances or other things that would have gained you equal or possibly more points. So... There's a nice little balance there, you know. It pays to be aggressive, but maybe not too aggressive, you know. You want to kind of do those little surgical strikes, and that's kind of the way I like my conflict best in Civilization games, where it's not all about the conflict, but conflict can be an important decision that you make during the game that might tip the scales one way or the other. And I like that much more than the kind of everybody builds up, and then you have this massive fight at the end, and you see who wins. So... That really works well for me. So you have conflict, you have leaders, you have wonders, you have a manageable tech tree, you have exploration. All of these things that most of us love in civilization games, but in a very compact, short playing time. So for me, this game really hits on all cylinders. Um, I really enjoy it. Is it, you know, a little abstracted? Of course it is. You know, it's it's not something that's going to make me feel as immersed in the development of my civilization as Clash of Cultures does. I mean, at this point, there's no other game out there that does that for me. You know, I, uh, my city is a cube or two plopped on a board. In Clash of Cultures, I see the individual buildings. I see my troops. I see my cavalry. I see now my drunken elephants that are <laughs> leaning to the side, as Joel Eddy called them. Um, you know, I, I see the terrain features. You know, there's not really any terrain features at all um, in... You know, this game in the Golden Ages is just kind of these land shapes. And you can just kind of go walk right across the water to go to an island. And so, you know, every, all of that stuff is very abstracted, which might not appeal to some people. However, it appeals to me greatly because there's enough thematic um, elements to this game that I get that Civ kind of experience, a little bit of that feel, a little bit of that Civ fix but in an incredibly short and manageable period of time, which makes this game really uh, excellent, and it has a great place in my collection, because if I really want to play a Civ game at this point, I'm playing Clash of Cultures, or possibly Old School Civilization or Advanced Civilization, if I can manage to get enough people together. Most of the time, no. So it's Clash of Cultures all the time, right? But if I don't have the time for a, a three-, four-hour game like Clash of Cultures, especially with the expansion then I'm going to be reaching for the Golden Ages because out of all of the light civilization games that I've played, I would have to say that this game, far and away, 
is the best. So uh, hats off to uh, Luigi Farini. Hats off to Quinted Games. Um, I'm hoping that this is going to get wider uh, North American distribution. Uh, I know that uh, my sponsor, Game Surplus Velma, has been able to get some copies in from time to time. So if you can't find the games, shoot her an email at uh, games at gamesurplus.com. See if she can grab one for you. And my hope is that, you know, one of the larger North American distributors, you know, like Stronghold or, or Z-Man or somebody is going to grab this one and publish this over here. So uh, I've heard a few rumors, but nothing official yet. So I, I don't want to kind of, you know, say anything, but I'm hoping that it's going to happen because this is a game that I think a lot of people would really enjoy. It's not a perfect civilization model. It's not a perfect thematic experience, but it does a lot of things really well. And it really kind of gives me that quick fix when I'm in the mood for a civilization game. So that's my review for The Golden Ages. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of The Long View. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Jim Shaw for uh, going through all of the great deck-building games that we were able to discuss tonight. Uh, of course, Jim and I would love to hear your thoughts and comments about games that we didn't include. Uh, you know, games like A Study in Emerald, for example, or other deck-building kind of games. Uh, and we'd love to hear your comments about the ones we talked about as well. So thanks to everybody out there for listening. Of course, I want to thank my sponsor, Gamesurplus.com. Go check out Gamesurplus and see what they have to offer you. It's unbeatable customer service, fantastic pricing, super fast shipping, and a dedication to finding the games that you want and that you like. So thanks to Gamesurplus.com for their continued support. I'd also like to, of course, send a shout-out to my local game store, The Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Conveniently located off of Interstate 80, right on Main Street, it is a fantastic resource for uh, people in our region. They have tons of great board games and a friendly and knowledgeable staff. So if you're looking to find a great game, go to The Gamer's Edge. Thanks also, of course, to The Dice Tower. The Longview is a proud member of The Dice Tower Network. Go and check out all of the other great sister podcasts in The Dice Tower Network and the latest reviews from Tom and Eric and everybody else. And thanks to them for their continued support as well. And, of course, thanks to all of you out there for listening. Have a great night.